The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcast on the social suplex podcast network jeremy donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll review Windy City Riot and cover all its news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, Synchronized viewing parties and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level, and you can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? That's the whole intro and plugs. Yeah, man. Yeah, he breezed through those. I, <laughs> I normally I, did. We lose sponsors or information that we're relaying to the people. Like th- that felt, uh, you know, more choppy. Way quicker than normal. Now got the, got the ext uh, the, the donate the pro wrestling tees socialsuplex.com. Nice. Well, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I got your um, RSVP in the mail today. The the wedding invite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this thing, guys, top notch. They sealed it with uh, what is that actual like freaking what's it called like a, a uh, wax seal. Yeah, is that a, a, a wax seal? Did you, like, it signify it with your ring before you, like, <laughs> sent that off to me? Yeah. As, as the lord of your home? Yeah, I put, you know, the crest, the family crest on there. Yeah, bro. You, you mail those things out. Let me just tell you, it's 2022. You don't need to be putting wax on the fucking paper, okay? <laughs> they, got, they got a seal on the inside. It's already hard enough to open one of those things with just, you know, the gimmick they got on it and you added extra sealant you know and i'm trying to be respectful because like you guys put it on like fine parchment paper with wax and i was like uh, i was so like <laughs> i just trying to open this thing without damaging it when i you know I, like i like to keep cards and stuff like that i'm sentimental so i'm like gonna hold on to this i'm like rip 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 and i'm like oh my god why did they <sighs> yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's, I fucking it's all- i jobbed out to your uh 
wedding invitation, man. I'm sorry. But, it's uh, it's all about the presentation, the pageantry. You know, you know how to go out there with the full gimmicks. Got got the the, the right envelope, the wax seal gimmick, the the, the pearl paper. Yeah, that's kind of like you know. There's some people that are like that. Like they want their food to look presentable. You know, the presentation needs to be a certain way. I just want it to taste good. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't care what it looks like really. Like at the end of the day, but <laughs> I, but I know people that are like uh, it doesn't look good. I'm like, but it is good. I made it. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, you know, it's like Ishii, you know, bad body wrestler. Like, the body doesn't look good, but he is good. Well, I've been working on my body. You know, I've been in there clanging and banging. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Dropping those those LBs, getting ready for a return sometime in the future. Bro, this is crazy. So, like, when I was wrestling, okay, I had an inner ear issue where I, I was like, I don't know. Exa- I don't want to say it's Mike Seidel's fault exactly, but. Him slapping me in the head when I was a trainee didn't help things, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but um, no, like I sometimes like I have weird ever since I was a kid, I have like weird ear issues. And so when I was wrestling um, one night, like I got blown up, my ears just like kind of popped or something. And I just lost balance and like uh, it just kept getting worse day after day. And then like for a little bit there, I was like, oh, man, you know, like I was, just, I was having real issues. I think I even might not have done the show one time way back then but anyways i went to the doctors right and you know they do the whole they weigh you gimmick and all that sort of stuff now keep in mind i've been working out pretty consistently at the gym about five days a week since probably july of last yeah since like the beginning of july last year and i've made great progress but keep in mind before that i was still wrestling prior to that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and this um i had like in in my place i just like i'm a hoarder i've got a bunch of like not really i'm not really a hoarder but i've you know i'll accumulate like paper and i'll be like i'll look at that later and then i just never do Mm -hmm. well this week i decided to clean everything out and i found the bill from when i went to the doctors all the way back in january of like 2020 or 2021 um yeah, yeah yeah 2021 I weighed over 250 pounds. Bro. And I had all bro, I had already been wrestling pretty regularly. And I back then when I was wrestling and working out, I was dropping weight like fast. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'd already been wrestling, you know, I don't know, six months, but but at that point. So like I don't even know how heavy I actually was when I first like started. Like right now I'm kind of plateaued. I'm at like two fifteen flat. Mm-hmm. I'm not gaining or losing. I I'm definitely like my clothes are fitting better. I've had to like um, make a new like hole in my belt. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. so I'm I'm seeing difference. I think I'm just losing fat and gaining muscle. But like I didn't even realize it was over two fifty. I was talking to a friend of mine. It's like a personal trainer, and he's like. Yeah, you probably weighed like somewhere between like 260, 270 at one point. Bro, that's crazy to think about because I mean, I'll say we, we lived together and I saw you all the time and I was like, right. You never, in my mind, never seemed like you got up that high. Bro, well, I knew for sure. Like, when did Rich get married? Uh, that was, well, uh, sometime in the, was that summer last year, sometime? 
dude, I don't know when that was, but like, I remember like going home and trying on my suits and only one of the suits fit and it barely fit Mm -hmm. and everything like just feeling like I was going to pop the entire time we were out there, like for that wedding. I I feel like that was like September of 2021, October. Maybe. I don't know. Was it not 2020? Uh, maybe, maybe it was. Yeah. I don't know, man, but I, I remember I was, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. September, I think September, October, 2020. Yeah. I don't know, but I was big, 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 big. I'm a tall guy. So like I carry it a little better that, but like, if you're around me a lot, you might notice it, but yeah, it's crazy. I've dropped like 50 pounds or something crazy. Like, I don't know. I'm not good at math, but that's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But I'm trying to, trying to get in the best shape of my life for the Donovan wedding. <laughs> no the real reason guys you don't understand jeremy's got us hooked up with this gimmick where we have to like go get sized for the suits we're getting and so i'm trying i'm holding off on that as far out as i can because i don't want to like like lose weight in between the fitting and the actual like you know the time of the wedding so i, I need to like make as little space between that as i possibly can you know because if i if i get like fitted now and then, like, in two months, I'm a totally different size. It's not going to help me, you know? Right. So, so that's my goal. My goal right now is to uh, get in fighting shape for this wedding. <laughs> oh, man, it should, should be uh, fun times, you know, less than uh, four months away. Yeah. So. But, all right, man, let's uh, jump into some New Japan Pro Wrestling here. So, uh, first thing we got to talk about is... Windy City Riot, uh, which happened this past Saturday, aired live on Fight TV. And just like we predicted and talked about last week, there was several uh, issues with Fight TV. This is honestly probably the worst Fight TV produced New Japan show that has happened um, like we talked about last week in the past, pretty much every New Japan Fight TV show, there have been issues, but at you know some point it gets somewhat resolved to where the show is watchable. But this was uh, pretty bad. This was the the worst experience that I, that I've encountered. Uh, the feed dropping out several times in matches. When the feed drops out, it would come back and start from the beginning of the show. When the show started, there was no commentary at all. Uh, Several times, you know, you got the, the message, you know, fights trying to get a, a signal from the arena. Um, there was at one point in the main event, the the camera battery said, like, battery low. You need to switch the battery. Uh, yeah, bro. That was there's other stuff too, just general lagginess. You know, mm-hmm. guys, guys would look like literally like the glitches when you're playing like WWE 2Ks games and then they have those strange glitches and people like make youtube videos out of them it was like that but real life like you'd see a dude like it like snap mirrored and then they're like in the air and then they're like on the ground and you're like where was the motion between that like why is this thing lagging so bad um the audio was real bad like they would be playing the house audio over the um vtr audio and they wouldn't like change the songs or cut off the music or right. the so audience. Like, yeah, the winner's music would keep playing while they're trying to play a VTR. Yeah, so you're, like, trying to get hyped listening to whatever it is that's, uh, you know, occurring to get prepped for the next match. But then in the background, you still, like, hear Jay White's music or, 
you know, whoever. And it's like, why is that? And, and it was for absurdly long times. It wasn't just like a little bit of overlap. The song would play in its entirety. And I'm like, is, is this what they're hearing in-house? Like Jay White already went to, through the curtain and this music's still playing? It doesn't make sense. Right. So that yeah. stuff was really bad. Yeah, all the, the VTRs were inaudible. Like you can really hear what the VTRs are saying. Once, even, um, when, even when they got the music stopped, it shut off from the wrestlers. Other stuff, you know, anytime guys brawled on, like in the ring, it was kind of okay. But if they went outside, especially through the crowd, any brawling like that, it was like, you know, a lights out match. Like for real, though, you couldn't see anything. They're fighting in the the dark abyss, you know? <laughs> yeah. You just have to, it, it actually reminded me of like in 1991, you know, Cactus Jack and Eddie Gilbert were having these like, groundbreaking TWA, you know, false count anywhere matches. And in 1991, people were like, what the, you know, this is crazy. These guys are fighting through the audience. But like what you see when you watch it on YouTube, it's just scrambled and grainy and there's just people and you don't see, you don't know what's going on. You just hear noise. That's what this was, but it's not 1991. It's 2022. Yeah, bro. It's yeah. Even Kevin Kelly kind of made like a comment because also, when they came out to the entrance ramp, it got really dark. So, like, the stage, like, there was some light on the stage that you could see. But then they would walk down the ramp. It'd be super dark. And, like, Kevin Kelly was trying to, like, announce who was walking down. And, like, he would mistake the person because, like, he couldn't really see who was coming out. And they would come out from the light. Like, oh, that's actually blah, blah. And so, yeah, it was just, yeah, the lighting, production, like, this was. Yeah, the, the thing is, is, like, normally with a... Um, fight tv production snafu there's usually like one thing that's an issue you know maybe there's a lag or maybe the feed drops or maybe it's audio based or this was on every single imagine even <laughs> things that we couldn't have imagined like the battery thing like, yeah the camera battery died. you guys didn't check your camera batteries this is it what, what, what kind of like you know what kind of rinky dink production is this <laughs> this is terrible bro what if the camera would have died in the middle of the main event. Bro, that could have very, very easily and feasibly happened. Like, I don't I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, New Japan, they did issue an apology for the technical difficulties that plagued Fight TV. Uh, they deeply apologized for the, the issues and poor video and audio quality. Um, and a, uh, you know, corrected version of the show has been uploaded to Fight. So if you've already bought it on Fight, um, you can now watch a fixed version. Or if you want to order it again, like you can do that. Or you can wait till it goes up on New Japan World on May 4th. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, th- there was um, a lot of the same issues still transpiring on the New Japan World uh, feed. And, you know, I know I said I wasn't going to pay any money to fight TV, but, like, I, I, I got to imagine that they still were in charge of the same production because a lot of the same issues were still occurring on the New Japan World, like, feed. But, uh, you know, it got to a point where, like, I'm just going to be honest with you, Jeremy, I, I was available to watch this show. I tried watching it, and it just kept dropping and dying, and I'd switch servers, and I'd switch to different avenues. And, like, you know, normally, like, I wouldn't even do any sort of, like, nefarious means of trying to watch the show but this show was so impossible to watch that i was just like trying to find a way to watch it no matter what that even was and i couldn't find a good way to watch it no matter 
who was providing it, you know? So like I got to a point where I was just frustrated and I was like, you know what, in a few days, this will probably be resolved and maybe I'll watch it then. But like, even to this point, like, I don't know, the, the, the versions that I see that are out there that are watchable are still pretty bad. So yeah. like, I'm just kind of hoping when it hits new Japan world, it's better and fixed. I don't know. I, I haven't seen the show. Yeah, for me, I, I I did end up having a time Saturday to watch it, so I ordered it. On, I took a bit the bullet, ordered it on Fight TV. You know, I, I'm trying to support New Japan Pro Wrestling, trying to support the the you know the Western expansion and everything that's happening on Strong. So I I ordered it on Fight TV, tried watching it, and I mean I stuck all the way through, but it it was it was a bumpy road, and several times the feed dropped out. It was so bad that at points I would try to go to a uh, pirated feed just to see if that was working better than the Fight TV feed. Were there times where it proved that it actually was better? Um, not all, a little bit, because uh, I think the, the pirated feeds are pulling from the Fight TV feed, so I th- it, it wasn't completely better all the time. But, now, yeah. Here's one thing I will say. Um, when I would have it playing on my phone or my tablet. Uh, well, specifically my phone. The picture wasn't that bad. But when I put it on the TV, which to me, I'm not one of these people that watches a lot of wrestling on my phone or my tablet. I'm, you know, I'm a grown man. I don't watch it on the <laughs> fucking TV. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe in a, in a pinch, I might pull something up on my phone, but like, I don't, it's a small screen. You know, I'm a big screen boy. And anytime I put any feed, no matter what it was, on the TV, it looked so incredibly bad. Like, like fan cam quality level bad. Like, I can't think of the only thing that's comparable in recent memory from New Japan is the last major show that they did, The Battle in the Valley, which was horrendous and eventually got, you know, kind of okay, but was also plagued with numerous you know, production snafus, but this was worse. And it was really unfortunate because there was a lot of matches that I wanted to see uh, live in real time unspoiled. And I guess I'm not going to get to do that. I heard great things, but like, dude, this is from the number two or number three company in the world. This is unimaginable. Dude, it's literally gotten worse with every show. Like Resurgence, I thought was okay. It wasn't the best, but... There wasn't a lot of major issues with the resurgence airing. Then it Battle in the Valley got worse. And now we're here. Windy City Riot got even worse than that. I mean, if if you compare the quality now, granted, this isn't a fair assessment because this doesn't reflect everything New Japan does, but keep in mind a few things. Number one, this is a pay-per-view. Number two, this is a major pay-per-view in the Western market for them. So you know what I mean? Like, if they're trying to make, like, headway into this market, they really need to be putting their best foot forward. That being said, you compare this to all the other, quote-unquote, major league productions that are out there. I don't care whether it's WWE, Ring of Honor, AEW, Impact, um, MLW. Bro, even, like, indies like PWG and, like, uh, GCW, they all have better production than this show. And this is a, you know, sellout crowd in a, you know, raucous Chicago market. Like, there's no reason that this shouldn't have come off 
you know, just excellently. But instead, we're sitting here talking about all the production issues, which is unfortunate. And, you know, yeah, it's just terrible. Yeah, and you got to think about the L they're taking on just the pay-per-view buys for this show because I know several people asked for a refund. I asked for a refund and got my, my refund uh, yesterday. And so I'm sure wow. there, there's a ton of people who ended up getting refunds from the show. So that's going to be, uh, you know, a big hit for New Japan. You know, they're trying to make a, a profit here in this in this country of New Japan of America and make up for losses from the pandemic and, you know. Yeah, and the thing, too, is, like, you know, you you can't even criticize those individuals that asked for the, uh, you know, a refund because it is so warranted because it was that bad overall. Like that production was just, it's, there's no excuse is the bottom line. Like there's no excuse for it. And uh, I think it's good on new Japan that they went ahead and did, uh, you know, issue a public apology, but you know, fight TV didn't like, they put out one thing that basically just corrupt kind of, they basically just shared what New Japan yeah, wrote. They, yeah, they retweeted did, New Japan's apology and didn't really say anything after that. Yeah, bro. You can't run a business doing that. I mean, you know, we have, we're not the numbers guys, but, I mean, I've listened to, like, WrestleNomics, and, you know, they talk about the actual reported numbers of pay-per-view buys that Fight TV are doing. And, I mean, they're taking heavy, heavy losses year over year. So, I mean, you know, and I don't know. Like, who knows if they're even long for this world the way that their operations are going. And, yeah, I don't know. That's the thing, though. Uh, something that, um, you know, and I can't claim to know all the ins and outs about New Japan, but, you know, based on conversations that I've had with people that have worked um, in New Japan and worked overseas, the one thing that they mentioned is, like, their camera crews are not necessarily always New Japan camera crews that, like, a lot of the different production teams are in-house in the various uh, cities and arenas that they attend. And so they might be like trained in how New Japan likes to produce their shows and stuff, but like they are working with sort of like freelance groups in different cities. And I think they've tried to maybe potentially carry some of that over here in the States, but it's just not, um, you know, it's not panning out the way that it does overseas. And, you know, it was great when it was Axis. When Axis was doing it, it was phenomenal. But man, these last couple of years, last three years actually, have just been bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been uh, pretty rough. And we have a question here from our friend uh, Matthew Mayer, the imp over at uh, Wrestling Headlines. He says, "How do you think the production problems will affect the reception of these U.S. specials, or can the top quality matches carry them through?" There might be an early 2010s ROH comparison here. We're living in a world where there's so much wrestling in the marketplace. You know, it's so saturated that, you know, for anything to even make an impact, it has to come off impeccably. And then, you know, um, the idea that any of these shows really have long lasting effects in the hearts and minds of the audience, you know, that's not necessarily always going to be the case. I mean, it's a WrestleMania or, you know, one of the major AEW shows, sure. But even those kind of, within two weeks, they seem like they're so long ago because there's so much content that's being put out there and there's so much major wrestling, and not just major wrestling, good wrestling from a lot of different places, um, you know, whether that be in Japan or in the States. I mean, think about how few people are even talking about 
Okada and Zack Sabre Jr. from just a week ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, is there a demand to see guys like Moxley and Osprey wrestle one another? There definitely is. But when the overarching story is the production issues, that leaves a bad mouth and a bad taste in the mouth of the consumer, um, you know, and then it, it kind of overshines anything that they might, any goodwill that they might've made through their, you know, working with AEW or having great matches that kind of all just gets overshined. And then, you know, a few days later, we've got WWE. And then a few days after that, we got AEW and a few days after that, you know, and after that, and after that, this this show is just going to be a footnote. I mean, people aren't going to even really care to remember or talk about it. And uh, unless some of the recent rumors that have popped up about New Japan and AEW's working relationship span out, um, you know, it, this isn't really a good thing for them in the immediate sense. Yeah, you know, he brought up uh, 2010's ROH and... You know, I didn't always watch consistently everything that ROH was doing in 2010. I would try to watch YouTube stuff. I'd try and find stuff from DVDs. But even though ROH was never your highest quality, they never really had issues as far as, like, the production of their streaming. It wasn't high quality, but you could watch a full show without it dropping out. No, they had some pretty bad production issues in the early when they first went to iPay-per-view those were bad shows like and 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 but they were great shows they were like all-time quality shows but like they were virtually in what like unwatchable so much so that like they'd have to like release they couldn't even air them live um at a certain point they had to stop airing them live and start airing them um you know, like weeks later after they'd been like heavily edited and put together and everything like that, because they ran into so many production issues. And, but the thing is, is like, they did have a cult following because of how good some of those shows were. And ultimately it did get them the Sinclair deal and everything like that. But like, it's a totally different marketplace. You know what I mean? Right. There's not, there's not one ROH out there. There's like eight or nine are just out there right and like you're mentioning man like there's so much wrestling out there right now and if you're gonna put something out on pay-per-view even if it's just the the 20 dollar mark like it has to be high quality because a you're you're already upsetting like your diehard fans all the diehard new japan fans have new japan world you're not putting it up on the subscription that we're already paying for so you're, Mm -hmm. you're you're already kind of messing with your loyal fan base right there um, and then, you know, for the opportunity to capture new eyes and new audience, if this is somebody's first time watching, trying to watch a New Japan show, like, they're not going to try and stick around the next time. Like, after this hassle, they'll be like, you know what, forget about it. Like, I'll catch it if it comes out free or uh, maybe I'll look for a stream if not. But, yeah, you're you're kind of killing both sides of your, your fan base here with this horrible production issues. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. It, it, it's really, really, really not good. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, well, the obvious answer is get better production. I don't know via what means they need to do that, but it needs to be done and it needs to be done quickly. You know, right. I mean, I've already, I've already criticized them for even using the pay-per-view model right now, because I don't feel that you can actually have long-term success running pay-per-views in a foreign, in a foreign market that you're not even truly based in when you don't have television to 
to bounce off the back of it. Like if you have television that's going to lead to your pay-per-views and that's your business model, that's fine and great. But they don't even really have television that leads to these shows. Any, I mean, sure, they have the Access TV show and they've got New Japan World, but those are not, you know, a live weekly U.S.-based television product like, say, AEW or WWE for you to promote and build to these pay-per-views. Right. So in, in essence, this is sort of like an offshoot one-shot pay-per-view that they're running. And I already think that that's problematic from a business standpoint, even if this had gone perfectly. But, you know, there's no denying that had it gone perfectly, we'd be talking about people raving about the top two or three matches of the night, and the surprises and everything like that. And instead, you know, we're stuck talking about this. So it's it's a double negative. Right. And, like, even with, like, the Access TV and New Japan Strong, like, they're not really building a lot of times. I mean, sometimes there is set up. For some matches, but right. it's not like you have the real go home show or they're pounding home the angles. You're getting promo videos for these pay per views. Like there, there's not, especially on strong. Like there's because and the way they tape strong, like you can't always do that. So strong is not a reliable vehicle to promote these access TV. I mean, I know they play like commercials for the upcoming strong tapings and. The shows and stuff like that, but again, they're just they're showing stuff from Japan, and that has nothing to do with what's happening in the U.S. You might not even be seeing the guys who are wrestling on in Japan on the show that they're trying to promote. So, I mean, in my opinion, there's two things that you realistically can do. You can either work towards getting a television deal in the states of your own. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess they kind of have that with access, but again, that's not quite the same thing. Or instead of running pay-per-view, you try to point people towards your streaming service to get that recurring revenue month over month. You know, you either need to be getting people signing up for your uh, subscription-based service, or you need to be getting people to, um, you know, watch the television and get ads right fees so that you can make money that way because that that's the business we live in today. Like doing paper, pay-per-view is great. You know, AEW has shown in the marketplace that there's still room for companies to go out there and build a brand and build loyalty and have people pay for those shows if there's a demand for it. But I don't see that you can actually do that without a television product to base it off of. If you're just doing it sort of in this, um, in between space where it's kind of in between your access TV shows. It's kind of in between your, your strong tapings and, you know, in between the live touring, like you're not going to have great success doing that. Even, you know, other companies like impact ring of honor and, you know, the uh, GCW, they've had trouble converting their audiences into pay-per-view customers. Even WWE has. So, you know, it's a, it's a tough undertaking. So, you know, uh, I, I don't know what the, you know, I'm not a business analyst, so I can't tell you exactly what needs to be done, but I can tell you what they're doing is not going to work. I know that. Yeah. Uh, we had a question here from Rambone Slam Pig. It says, does, increasing, does the increasing partnership with AEW, including a rumored co-promoted show in America, make it more likely that NJPW can utilize production resources from AEW to avoid any more fiascos like the Fight TV stream from this weekend? I don't think so. I think that's highly unlikely, to be honest with you. Um you know, I, I don't know the ins and outs of AEW's uh, 
deal with you know warner media and all that um but based on a lot of the insights that people are more knowledgeable on this sort of subject than me based on their assumptions and and you know their insights they believe that there's a high likelihood that their television partner has some sort of minority stake in the success of the company and pro and we definitely know that they help foot uh the uh production bill for you know for aew so i mean tony khan had to get specific permission from his television partners to even borrow any of the um production to do the roh show and it was because they have specific deals in place where they can't just he can't run an aw show and call it roh and then just be willy-nilly he has to you know give them certain kind of assurances to make sure that they're very much aware that this is not an AEW show this is a separate production and you know they were willing to help him in a pinch with that situation to do the roh show but you know tony khan doesn't just own all his own production and he can't just do it on his own he has other people that he has to answer to and i'm sure if hypothetically there ends up being a new japan aew co-promoted show here in the states that's a different story that would probably fall under aew's purview and i'm sure that that would be a high level production but if it's just like hey we're in chicago we're running a show and we need some help tk you want to send over some uh some production <laughs> you know send over a truck no they, like they're not doing that that's not going to happen no matter right. how good of partners they are yeah i i totally agree with you i don't think that's going to happen Obviously, co-promoted shows. I'm sure Tony Khan's going to yet to mention get the production going, but straight up New Japan show. Even with AEW guys featured, I still think it's going to fall on New Japan. And um, I get it. I know. I know production is expensive and trying to get your own crew. But like you mentioned, Impact they're, they're doing pay per views and, and streams, and I hear no issues about them. MLW they stream. They do pay per views and live streams on YouTube. I hear no yep. issues about them gcw yeah. they use fight tv and i don't i well, i don't really watch all those shows but i don't hear any issues on the streams from them so i don't know if it's always fight problem or the production people that new japan is using but something's something's gotta be fixed yeah and i mean there's other like even lower end minor league in you know independent companies that run shows yeah on fight and they don't have this level of production issue so I don't get it. Yeah. Well, I guess we should, uh, let's talk about the show. You didn't see the show, so I'll, I'll try and uh, walk through this. And you can, I know you don't know what's happened, so you can kind of chime in your thoughts on maybe the results. No, I'm, I'm, I'm spoiled on it. I'm spoiled on the show. I kind of know what happened for the most part, but I am not going to be able to tell you my thoughts on this street fight, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, first of all, there was a dark pre show match that had. The chaos team of Rocky Romero and Wheeler, Utah, defeating Kevin Knight and DKC. So uh, that's bullshit. <laughs> what Utah being chaos? DKC should have gone over Wheeler, Utah. <laughs> Made that man tap out to a fucking Boston Crab. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then DKC could have joined the uh, Blackpool Combat Club uh, or Chaos. Oust that man. <laughs> Uh, so then the official show started with the factory, Aaron Solo, Nick Comoroto, and QT Marshall 
They defeated the LA Dojo team of Clark Connors, Carl Fredericks, and Yu Yu Amora, 11 minutes and 56 seconds. Um, there was a lot of production issues at the start of this match. There was no commentary on point. The stream was going um, in and out um, a lot of times during this match. But I wonder if we should have like brought Sam's on the show since he was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably should have done that. Um, someone, someone who actually like was in, or, or you know, I know Chris Bryan was in the building. We should call him on or something. Yeah, or uh, Karen. Yeah, Karen was there too. Um, yeah. But from what I saw from this show, from this match, it, it was not that great. Um, there was like a, a pretty botched spot from uh, Komarota when he was trying to like throw all three guys at the same time. And I don't know, just from what I saw, it didn't seem like these guys really gelled a lot here in this matchup. At least uh, he didn't blow his knee out. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It looked like he could have. Uh, QT ends up hitting a uh, low blow, hits the uh, QT cutter on Yamura, and get the big pin here. So uh, the factory gets a win. I uh, watched the, the post-match promo. Uh, pretty much they were, um, you know, QT was like, you know, Fredericks, I gave you the chance to join the factory. You turned me down. Now we beat you in your own promotion. Uh, the offers were sended. You can't join. And then LA Dojo guys are pretty much saying, you know, you guys cheated. That's not the way you, you wrestle in New Japan. You shouldn't have done that. Like, if you want to beat us, beat us clean. Uh, you know, we'll see you on strong. We'll come to you guys. You know, this is not over. So it's interesting. Um, I mean, my big question is like, it, it definitely sounds like they're going to work together again in the future. This is probably not the end of whatever this program, but are you kind of surprised that, you know, QT and the factory one. I mean, they're not exactly like high level AEW guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think partly is to probably just get heat to continue the angle. Um, there's already a tag match that's been taped on the Mutiny tours. Uh, I think it's Connors and Fredericks against Komarodo and Solo. Um, so clearly, this program is continuing, and so they probably need to you know, get some heat on Bay Faces so they can get some comeuppance later on down the line. Uh, but, yeah, it is uh, kind of interesting here that, yeah, the factory would go over on L.A. Dojo. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so the next matchup, we had the team of Alex Coughlin, Chris Dickinson, Fred Rosser, Josh Alexander, and Ren Narita defeating the team filthy team of Black Tiger, Danny Limelight, Jarrell Nelson, Jared Kratos, and Royce Isaac, 13 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, this was a, a really fun matchup here. Team Filthy, they always c- kill it on these um, 10-man tags that happen on these uh, big U.S. shows. Um, several programs are being progressed here. Um, Coughlin and Jared Kratos, there, they're continuing their feud. You have Fred Rosser, who's still in the hunt for a, another strong title match, and he's you know, here fighting Filthy Tom's boys. Uh, you have... Uh, Dickinson and Narita, they're actually going to be facing each other on the, the Mutiny Tour. So they're teaming together here, but having to trust each other here in a, in a future matchup. And we also know the history with Dickinson and Team Filthy as well and being uh, booted out the group there. Um, so a lot of different interesting stories. And also, you know, um, these guys also kind of fighting for, for Rocky with Black Tiger. So a lot of moving pieces here in this matchup. But it was really fun. Uh, great spot with uh, J.R. Kratos doing a big... Uh, dive to the the outside on a pile and just seeing a man that size just jumping over the rope like that was just absolutely crazy. Uh, yeah, I saw that clip and that was uh, 
pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we've seen Krayos do that spot before, but that was uh, yeah, still pretty crazy. Um, really did, did he go over the turnbuckle though? Yeah. So I don't think I've ever seen him do do it from the the corner like that way. Yeah, that that was uh pretty wild. Um, and I'll see uh, great spots here with uh, Coglin and Kratos uh, continuing their rivalry. Like I mentioned, some great uh, power uh, exchanges between those guys. And then uh, the end came down to um, Fred Rosser. Uh, he was hit, Rosser and Black Tiger in the end, and Rosser busted out the uh, cross face chicken wing. If you guys remember in uh, WWE, he was once aligned uh, with. Bob Backlund and Bob Backlund had had given him the chicken wing at that point. So dusting off the crossface chicken wing here gets a submission win on Black Tiger, and uh, he refused to let go of the hold after the match, which then brought out Filthy Tom Lawler to the ring to attack Rosser, um, and then Blue Justice Eugene Nagata came down and hit the ring to save Fred Rosser. So we got a little bit of a, a Heyman special here with this match leading into the next match. Uh, Eugene Agata grabbed the mic and he was pretty much asking, you know, why isn't the strong title on the line tonight? Uh, you know, I think the belt should be on the line and pretty much goaded Filthy Tom into putting the strong title on the line. So we got strong openweight championship match with Filthy Tom defending against Eugene Agata, defeating Eugene Agata at 13 minutes and 57 seconds. I thought this was uh, a really uh, good matchup here with uh, Filthy Tom and Nagata. Uh, these guys going back and forth with uh, strikes and holds and um, suplexes. Uh, you know, Gata still has a, a great um, exploder suplex. And uh, got some good uh, near falls on Filthy Tom here. Uh, but at the end, Filthy Tom ends up uh, getting the win. He hits uh, his version of the uh, Kamigoye. I don't know what he calls it, but uh, he hits that and uh, gets the pinfall here and retains the title that puts him at uh, ten defenses. Yeah, I he used that last uh, in his last defense as well against um, uh, Clark Connors, and I mean I was a little bit like I get it that he's using it and it's kind of like tucked away because he's on the U.S. brand, but I'm also a little surprised that they're letting him use that because it's such a like definitive move for um Kota Ibushi and I'm wondering how they're letting him do that <laughs> right but yeah that's fine um heard really great things about this match you know this seems to be one of those one one or two matches per year that we get nowadays where Nagata comes out in a singles match and just absolutely kills it and I mean it's sort of like clockwork you can usually tell which matches they're going to be I think last year you know, the Ishii match stands out the year before that. The Suzuki match stands out. You know, he has one or two really great, you know, matches in him every, like, sort of annually. And that's what people are sort of referring to this one. So that's really great. One thing, um, Black Tiger being in Team Filthy, I don't recall that having been made official prior to this tour. I felt like he was sort of just um, Team Filthy adjacent. Yeah. Like, he would team with them and, you know, was sort of associated. But, like, I didn't think he was a full-fledged member. But now it seems like they've kind of made it official. I mean, is is that the way you're taking it? Yeah, I mean, in, in the post-match promo, they're all kind of together. And, yeah, it seems like, I agree with you, initially it did seem like it was kind of adjacent. But as the tours have been going on and 
the rivalry with Rocky increases, it, it does seem like he's more aligned with them and is definitely a, a member now. One other thing, um, even though I didn't see these matches, I I've, I did follow this all night trying to watch the show, and I was on uh, Twitter, so I saw a lot of the clips. Alex Coughlin, that uh, overhead belly-to-belly that he did on Kratos was, I know we saw it in um, St. Pete, but like he did that here again. Like, damn, he's and then he did a, a, a like a stalling uh, vertical suplex. I'm like, fuck, oh, he's so strong. <laughs> yeah, he he's so strong, and the beautiful thing about it is like. The way he kind of teases it out, because always throughout the match, you know, he'll he'll try and get it, try and get something, and then he'll finally get it, and the crowd just loses their mind when he finally does a, a huge power move with Kratos. I think that's what's called um, psychology, Jeremy. It's called storytelling. <laughs> yeah, well, Mr. Coughlin is doing a great job at that. Um, so the next, also, also his mustache. <laughs> yeah, doing a great job with that too. Got that that Ron Swanson look going. That's exactly what it is, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we had another multi-man match here We had the United Empire Aaron Hanare, Great Ocon, Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis, and TJP They defeated the Bull Club team of Chris Bay, Doc Gallows, El Fantasmo, Hikaleo, Carl Anderson, and Scott Norton Let me 40 seconds So at the beginning of the match, uh, Carl Anderson got the mic and said that uh, you know, we're teaming here at the legend, uh, Scott Norton, and we are officially welcoming in Scott Norton into Bullet Club. So, Carl Anderson making it official, Scott Norton, a member of Bullet Club. Uh, after the show, they did release a, you know, Scott Norton Bullet Club t shirt. So, um, you know, seems like, you know, Big Scott's a, a official Bullet Club member here. Yeah, I mean, that's cool and all, but did you notice that, like, most people, when they like get into the bull club and they get their own shirt, they usually get a something club shirt. Yeah, like you know the villain club, you know the finesser club, you know yada yada. And this this dude Scott Norton just got bullet club Scott Norton. Yeah, <laughs> there's no identifier whatsoever. Yeah, I guess they didn't have a good idea of what kind of club to do for him. The Flash Club. Yeah, kind of the Flash Club. Uh... But that's but I don't know. That sounds like a, a group for people that like to flash people. So that might not have come across with the right like message. So I don't know. Fire and ice club, bro. I fucking love fire and ice. Growing up, <laughs> you have no idea, bro. Ice train and Scott Flash Norton, bro. I thought that they were going to be. I thought they were going to go down as one of the all time greatest tag teams that had ever lived. Hey, I mean. Two big guys like that. Are, is there anybody in your history that like you were just flat out wrong about whether it was a team or a particular? It's like someone that you just loved, and then it just didn't pan out the way that maybe you thought they were going to. Um, trying to think when I was younger. I mean, one of the most recent. I th- it's not. I was, wasn't super young, but like Mr. Kennedy. I thought Mr. Kennedy was going to be the Bro, man. Me too. I thought he was going to be main event in WrestleMania. I thought he was going to be saying it was going to be like WWE champion like multiple times. I was all into Mr. Kennedy. Bro, me too. Like I didn't even I wasn't even really watching wrestling like that, but like I saw him and I, they had like the old MSG mic come down I'm like, "Oh my god, this guy's <laughs> future champion." Yeah. Uh so this match up here opened up there's a cool little power exchange spot between uh Scott Norton and uh Jeff Cobb. Uh, they exchanged uh, some big 
suplexes uh, Scott Norton, uh, no selling here, and then firing back up to suplex uh, Jeff Cobb. Uh, then from there, we had Bull Club isolating uh, TJP, got some uh, series of ridiculous uh, backerick spots here, uh, even from Hikaleo going to the very top and jumping down to uh, do the back uh, break. Then we kind of got a huge brawl between both teams, uh, ended up with um, Ocon and Cobb facing off against the Good Brothers in the ring, so teasing uh, Good Brothers potentially challenging Con and Ocon down the line. Uh, Good Brothers hit Cobb. They try to get him up with a magic killer. Ocon makes a save. It's some big Mongolian chops. Um, Aussie Open then gets in. They clear the ring. Um, and then they uh, dropped Chris Bay with what they call the Coriolis. It's got a crazy kind of spin move. And they get the win. They pin uh, Chris Bay. Then, of course, Ocon cuts the, his uh, post-match promo. And uh, Ocon was pretty over with the crowd. Got um, Got a lot of big pop. Got a lot of love here. The crowd was really uh, digging Ocon and the United Empire. First time we're really seeing a majority of the group together. And um, Aussie Open, I thought, looked really good. Those guys are awesome. I'm glad that we're finally getting them in New Japan. I know it's been a long time coming with them. Several kind of been teases of them coming in. But making their debut here, part of this show, and they're going to be on strong. And um, as borders open up, I'm sure we'll see them, hopefully, in World Tag League as well. Yeah, um, really cool. You know, just a lot of cool stuff in this match. Flash Norton um, joining Bullet Club and then everything, you know, sort of like the semi-official, you know, emergence of the entire United Empire. And, uh, pretty much uh, the prevailing reports that I've read and, you know, seen, they all agree with you as far as like the reception that Ocon got, and, you know, how... Uh, Aussie Open sort of came across to the live crowd. So I think that those are all very positive things moving forward. Yeah, and uh, post-match again, you know, Good Brothers and O'Connor and Cobb are kind of jabbing at each other. So it does seem like some at some point, maybe it's at the Capital Collision, uh, we'll see O'Connor and Cobb defend against Good Brothers. Uh, in the post-match promo, TJP was talking about how he's coming for the juniors. So definitely seemed like a, a heavy tease of TJP potentially being in best of the Super Juniors. Um, you know, he was mixing it up with Chris Bay here as well. So maybe Bay will be in best super juniors. So we'll see what happens there with those guys going down the line. Yeah. Uh, so then following that, we had a Chicago street fight and we had the team. We, we did have a couple questions oh, yeah, yeah. here. Skip some questions here. So, yeah. So uh, let's commission 7252 says, I always wondered why haven't New Japan edited the Carl Anderson two sweet sound and replaced it with each leader that they had in Bull Club? I don't understand this question. He's asking why haven't they edited out in the Bullet Club song, Carl Anderson goes, just too sweet. He's asking why haven't they taken his voice out and throughout the years put in like AJ's voice or Jay White's voice or Kenny Omega's voice. I've literally never even thought about (laughs) whose voice that was in that song one single time. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, I until this moment, I had no idea it was Carl Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I've heard it, but I mean, I don't think it was that. It was probably not that big of a deal for New Japan to want to go through the hassle of trying to re-edit that song every time somebody leaves. It's just too sweet, baby. I'm on the switchblade. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine AJ Styles? It's just too sweet. I don't know. I can't do his voice. <laughs> uh, so let's see here. And uh, Dark Soldier said, uh, 
Back then, we all asked, what the hell is Haku's problem? Given he's now in Bullet Club, what the hell is Scott Norton's problem? Yeah, but Scott Norton, well, Scott Norton's getting a payday. Right. That, there's, there's no problem for Big Scott. He's, he's getting the pay, payday. He's got a Bullet Club shirt now. My question is, is Scott Norton still in the Bullet Club? Because I know you might say no, but he still has one son in the Bullet Club and two sons in Hantai. So is there a chance that Haku is monetistic, just like his, uh, you know, elderly statesman Scott Norton? They could both be in the Bullet Club currently right now. Yeah, well, post-match, Scott Norton, he did, even though they lost, he still uh, celebrated with the Bull Club, and they kind of played it off, and Cardinal said, like, oh, it doesn't matter the, the result. You know, all that matters is that we're, we're here at the legendary, you know, two-time IWGP, IWGP champ, Scott Norton. And, yeah, Scott Norton's like, yeah, Bullet Club, we, we rule, you know, Bull Club's going to keep getting them. <laughs> oh. this, I know this man doesn't watch the product at all. <laughs> <laughs> um. Could we see Scott Norton back, perhaps, say, like, World Tag League, maybe partnering with, like, say, I don't know, King Haku? Who knows? Maybe the boards open up. You know, you, you need some fresh teams in there. Some fresh teams, some yeah. young some young up-and-coming talent. Flash yeah. the King. That's a good team. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned uh, Hikaleo, and there is the, kind of the ongoing storyline on kind of where he lands in Bullet Club and, Prior to this show, the, the Jay White match was taped, but obviously that continuity is going to happen after yeah, this. I was confused about that, too. I'm like, didn't he probably just get his ass whooped by Jay White? Like, what's going on? <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, here in this match, he was working fine with these guys. Um, there was no real issue. I mean, he wasn't really wearing a ton of Bull Club stuff, but there wasn't. I mean, he tagged with these guys. There wasn't. There didn't seem to be much issues like we've seen in the past, so. So he only has issues with Jay White, not anyone else that helped Jay White betray his brothers like Carl Anderson or Luke Gallows or Chris Bay. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. But uh, moving on here, the Chicago uh, street fight. Yeah, Finn Juice and Brody King, they defeated TMDK of Jonah and Shane Hayes and Bad Dude Tito at 24. Four minutes and 11 seconds. This, yeah, and it sounds like this might be the swan song for one Juice Robinson. Yeah, so uh, I know I had it in the news, but we can kind of briefly mention here. Yeah, Juice Robinson was on Wrestling Observer Live a couple days before this show aired to, you know, promote this show. And, of course, first question Brian asked, you know, yeah, a lot of people are asking, you know, what are, you know, what's going on with Juice? Where, where Are you going back to Japan? What's your future? And. He's like, yeah, nope, you know, my contract is up at the end of April. Uh, I signed an extension. It was up in January. signed a few months extension. Uh, but this is up. This is going to be my last match. And, you know, he really didn't seem like he really cared much more about wrestling. You know, they, Brian's like, you know, what's next in the future? Anybody want to wrestle? He's like, no, not really. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> yeah. t- tired of wrestling. You know, I'll, just, I'll, I'll probably just be a house husband. Yeah, that whole thing was weird. I mean, so we'd, we'd already gotten the reports, and we'd reported it here on the air that, you know, he didn't have a contract. And to my understanding, Dave Finley's in the same book, right? I, it seems like it, yeah. Okay. My assumption had been he's not signed with New Japan, but they're just working these dates for them as 
independent contractors. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Turns out that's not really the case, at least in the case of Juice. We can't speak towards anybody else, but we can only say what he said. And he had signed an extension to finish out these, you know, three or four months of dates. So I found that to be very interesting. But, you know, um, his entire sort of uh, lackadaisical demeanor on that show was very um, interesting. I mean, I don't want to judge it too harshly because I've never been in his spot and I, you know, who knows? I mean, the, this, uh, pandemic has taken a lot out of a, a lot of people. And I mean, um, he did mention the pandemic as being part of the reason why, um, you know, he, he wasn't going back to Japan and it had a lot to do with the quarantining and some of the conditions, you know, a lot of those things that we talked about here on this show when they were reported originally and people were saying that it was all hearsay and rumors and it wasn't happening. And, you know, we have been told firsthand that it absolutely was like an exodus of Gaijin talent. Well, you know, that's exactly what sort of is happening here. So uh, for the time being, Juice is gone. Uh, does that mean he'll never wrestle again? I highly doubt it. Does it mean he won't come back to New Japan? Uh, I don't see that to be the case either. I think down the line, there's probably room for them to do business again. But, you know, he's kind of been stagnant for whatever reason over the past few years, uh, ever since that Moxley, that initial Moxley match back in 2019. And uh, whether that's his fault or the company's fault, I can't really say. But, like, he's kind of been at a standstill from a booking perspective. And so long term, maybe this will be a good thing for his career to maybe go elsewhere and get other experience and have new goals or maybe to, you know, take some time off and come back with a fresh coat of paint. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's just interesting that this is for the time being his final match with new Japan. Yeah. I definitely feel like he hit a kind of a wall in new Japan. And I think for him, I think unfortunately like his rise was kind of coming at the same time where Moxley came in We've, we've talked about that first Mox match, and he hasn't quite been the same after that. And, um, you know, we haven't really seen a lot happen. I mean, he was kind of stuck in the tag division with Finley and never really got many big singles chances after that Moxley uh, feud was over after uh, the Wrestle Kingdom match. Um, well, the writing's kind of, like you mentioned, been on the wall. I mean, he had a trajectory, you know, kind of culminated and peaked with that uh, victory over... Um, Jay White initially, but I mean, you know, since then, I mean, he ate several losses to Cody, several losses to John Moxley, and then ever since he kind of got sidelined to the tag division, and then you know everything with the pandemic. I mean, there's multiple individuals that have come into the company that have sort of surpassed him. I mean, Shingo Takagi, and then you know, um, like we talked about with Mox, and then Kenta came in, and then um, you know. Osprey kind of got moved up in the pecking order and the same thing with, uh, you know, Kota Ibushi and several others. Plus like there's other outside or even people coming back from excursion, like great Okan. So, I mean, the writing was on the wall, even if he were to come back from, from Japan or to Japan at this point, what spot really is sitting there waiting for him? He's further behind in the pecking order, multiple guys that he'd had seniority over for years and he's not really an old guy yet or anything like that. So it's not like he was going to be a top six, seven or eight guy in the company. I mean, 
you know, there's I can there's probably at least ten to twelve names that are firmly placed above him right now. That's not to say that they're more talented than Juice is a a top talent in the entire world, but like there was a time where he felt like he was just outside that pecking order, and now he's pretty far removed from that. So this probably is the best thing for him and the company, and then it opens up the the chances for later on maybe he can make a return and and have a better slot of position and do more business down the road. And who knows, maybe he does retire. Maybe the AEW is there. I don't know. Yeah. So I have uh, some mixed feelings on this uh, Chicago street fight. Uh, On one end, there was a ton of crazy uh, risk-taking spots in this match that were pretty cool. But in the other end, there are spots where it just seemed like a kind of Dragged and it seemed excessively long. Like I mentioned, this match went 24 minutes, and um, there was parts where they were brawling in the crowd that weren't lighted great, so it was kind of hard to see what they were doing when they were brawling outside of the ring. And it just seemed like at points like it was just kind of going on and on and on. And they, I felt like they passed the peak a long time ago, um, and should it should have ended earlier. But at the same time, the guys, all of them did work really hard. It was a ton of crazy spots, especially uh, towards the end. Um, there's a spot where the Finjuice team, they throw all the chairs in the ring, and they all um, do, like, top rope maneuvers, throwing their opponents into, into the pile of chairs. Um, Juice did a spare to Bad Dude Tito uh, through a door. Uh, Jonah did a splash on top um uh, Brody King was laying on a ladder bridge, and he did a splash to the outside on the Brody King. Uh, that was a, a pretty crazy spot. Um, then uh, Jonah, he uh, brought out a sledgehammer. I'm guessing that's a you know shot at Triple H. Uh, he's a sledgehammer to try and uh, get the advantage. Uh, then Juice came back in, hit a pulp friction, um, and then Finley got the hammer hit. Um, Jonah a couple times with the hammer, had the shillelagh as well. And uh, Finley was able to get the pin on Jonah. And then in the uh, post-match promo, Jonah essentially saying, you know, Finley, this isn't over yet. You think you finish a job here. So um, it seems like we'll probably see Finley sticking around a little bit more. And uh, this maybe Finley and Jonah will have a... Another uh, big one-on-one matchup here to continue this program. Uh, we did have a question from the Dark Soldier. Says, "Is it me or was it unnecessary to pin Jonah already?" Well, um, I mean, I, in my opinion, I think that um, Jonah has gotten a lot of heat and has been pretty booked pretty strongly on uh, you know New Japan Strong so far and. In order to continue this feud, it seems like the feud is continuing. Um, you know, the Bayfaces need to get something back at some point. Um, so, I, I guess they they could have pinned Shane Hayes. Um, I guess, or they, they could have pinned Badu Tito. But it seems like Jonah and Finley is the direction. So Finley pinning Jonah um, probably just made more sense to them. Um. With Brody King's inclusion in this match, was there any continuity between the AEW persona, or was that kind of just thrown out the window here? Yeah, it seems like it's kind of thrown out the window. The, the announcers did announce him as representing the House of Black, but I mean, he was more babyface Brody King that, that we that we've seen on Strong. Um, I mean, all these guys are wearing you know jeans, you know street fight attire, but 
you know, we've seen the Brody King character obviously be a little, little bit more dark than usual, and um, you know, the promos have been a little bit different. So it seems like it's not quite the same continuity here, and so I don't know if we're going to see that. It seems kind of based on what's next for Brody King. It seems like maybe it's not going to pick up right away in New Japan, but uh, we'll see. Right. Yeah, uh, as far as the question that Dark Soldier asked, I mean, um, it feels like Jonah's gotten a lot of victories in New Japan for quite a while now. Um, Now, if you're not watching Strong necessarily, and the only major interactions you've seen of him are just like his entrance at Battle in the Valley and then this, you know, it might seem like it was pretty quick for them to have him lose, but I mean, he's had quite a few matches in New Japan already, and um, you know, they've won the vast majority of their matches in this feud at this point. Um, I'm surprised more so that Juice didn't job on the way out, to be honest, Mm -hmm. but maybe they wanted to send him off on a high note, or maybe it had nothing to do with him. I mean, like you mentioned, it looks like they're going to continue the feud going with Finley and Jonah. And if Jonah were to, if Jonah's team were to win through nefarious means, we've already seen that before. If he were to beat Finley, that kind of devalues Finley and sort of ends the feud. So to continue the feud, Finley getting a visual victory over Jonah is probably the only thing that actually does make sense. So I'm okay with it, especially since long-term Jonah's still the guy that the company seems to be more invested in. Um, at least, you know, I'm not saying for the long, long term, but like he's clearly, he's the guy out of all these guys that they're building up right now. So, right. They jo- need a, Jonah's they stock need is going up. Yeah. Jonah's stock is going up and Finley's stock is going down. Right. So, you know, Finley kind of needs the win to continue things. But long term, I'm pretty sure Jonah's going to be the guy that's, that comes out the victor in this feud. And even if he doesn't, you know, he's going to be kept strong enough to easily transition into another feud right off the, the back of that one, provided that's where they're going. So, yeah. So next match, we had the US of J open challenge match. Um, we had Switchblade Jay White defeating Shooter. Shooter Shoto Umino was the one that ended up answering the challenge here. Before the match, we had a video of uh, Mox backstage and you know, Pants over to Shooter, and he's telling you know, I forgot exactly what he said, but you know, pretty much telling Shooter to go out there and go get him. So, uh, yeah, Amino here making his you know U.S. New Japan debut since being on Excursion and Red Pro. We do know at one point he was supposed to be he's supposed to be at Resurgence and be Mox's partner there against the Good Brothers, but um, due to what they New Japan said at the time um, border and travel issues, Amino uh, you know, was not able to be a part of that show. So. Kind of this delayed, you know, coming to New Japan of America and, you know, had a good matchup here with Jay White. Um, I wouldn't say it was great. Um, I'm kind of like in a three and a half range with this matchup. Um, you know, it, it was very good. I felt like Umino did connect with the crowd and obviously Jay White is great. And I, I thought they could, told a good matchup here. But, um, I mean, Umino really didn't blow me away here. Um but to the same point, I also don't really know if the match was designed for him to really have a kind of a crazy, wild, coming-out party match. It definitely seemed like Jay 
was still it, it almost seemed like he was I mean it was still very much almost like a young lion in a sense wrestling Jay White. Jay was in control a uh, majority of the match. Jay worked on his midsection um, throughout the matchup here, and um, through working on that, Umino had a hard time striking and coming back, and did, did a great job selling. Um, but it definitely seemed like it was more of a one-sided match for Jay White, and not necessarily like a "oh crap!" like the next ace is here. Like Okada just showed up and it's going to beat Tanahashi. It wasn't that. It was just like, all right, here's a young lion. On excursion, he's gonna have a, a good match up here with Jay White, but it's not it's not like the big push yet. Yeah, and I mean a lot of the things that you're saying there apply to the other matches that I've seen of Shota Umino, uh, just in general since he's gone on excursion. So I'm not at all surprised. Um, did this feel like this was the end of his excursion and he's returning to New Japan full time, or what? What do you what were your feelings with that? Yeah, and we have a similar question here from Rambo. He says, it looks like Shota Amino is booked for a Red Pro show in the, in the near future. Was his appearance at Wednesday a one-off or a sign of the scourge nearing his end? His look and vibe just made me think of a young Tanahashi, but obviously that is a lofty comparison thought. Um, so I don't know if his excursion's ending or there. Maybe he's going to kind of transfer over to the LA Dojo, kind of like what Narita um, has done and maybe he's gonna train the LA Dojo and then be on New Japan strong before they um, bring him back to Japan. Um, and also, it, it does seem like with the look, like they they do want him to kind of potentially be that next ace or star. But as far as the in ring, I mean, it's been good, very good. Um, and he's like the Osprey match was great um, last year, but he hasn't really had a ton of consistently great matchups and to me right now based on what I've been seeing he does not scream to me like he's going to be the next ace um so yeah okay um as far as you know I've got to ask I mean we've talked about it during many of these major U.S. shows Jay White when he came out I mean what was the audience's reception to him and then also what was their reception um you know what was the reaction to Shota Umino? I mean, I know you said this match is probably like three and a half, but I mean, what was the audience like just across the board with this one? Because I'm I'm interested in that. Yeah, so um, Jay White, once similar to Resurgence, came out full of energy, throwing up two sweets to everybody. Uh, crowd seemed to take very well to him, and then, like I mentioned, we had the John Moxley video that introduced Shooter. So then we got um, big Let's Go Shooter chants. Um, at the beginning of the matchup, so the crowd definitely seemed um, in, and it, it seemed like a really like diehard uh, New Japan fan. I mean, there was somebody cosplayed as Great Okan in the crowd, so definitely seemed like you're more diehard New Japan fan base. So also they remember the Moxley um, Umino connection from 2019 G1. So the crowd was very excited. That was a great thing to have Mox kind of introduce him. So the crowd was very into Umino being here. They were into Jay White as well, and I think they really wanted to see. Umino um, get the win here. Like I mentioned, he was fighting from underneath, did a good job selling, but ultimately in the end, uh, just got overwhelmed by Jay White. Jay hits him with the Blade Runner and uh, gets the big win. Nice. Yep. So then from there, we moved on to the semi main event of the evening. We had the Stone Pit Bull, Tomohiro Ishii, defeating the former Ring of Honor television champion, Minoru Suzuki, 18 minutes and 46 seconds. And 
this match was freaking awesome. This was like one of the matches where I the stream didn't really drop at all, but this was your typical Ishii Suzuki matchup. Ton of great uh, strike exchanges, um, the forearms, chops, headbutts. They did do a few uh, shoot headbutt spots that were a little bit scary, but um, still an awesome match out. Brawling on the floor. You had the, the chair duel spot where both men grabbed chairs on the outside and just kind of swinging the chairs at each other. Um, Suzuki worked on Ishii's arm a lot uh, throughout the matchup there to stop him from doing the brain buster and just big lariats, big strikes. Like this was your, you know, classic never Suzuki Ishii brawl. Um, Ishii trying for the brain buster several times. Again, Suzuki, like I mentioned, hitting a, a uh, big headbutt on um, Ishii um, until uh, finally the closing stretch here. Uh, Ishii was able to um, escape the gotch pile driver, hit a headbutt of his own, and drop Suzuki for the brain buster and uh, get the big win here. Then after the match, Eddie Kingston made a big surprise uh, appearance here, walked under the ring, and he challenged Ishii to a match on May 14th, Washington, C. DC, which is a capital collision show. Kingston said that their styles are different. Ishii is strong style, but he is a student of the King's Road. So we'll get a clash here of strong style versus King's Road at the capital collision. Yeah, that's a, a lot to unpack there. I mean, I did see uh, a portion of this match, and like you like you mentioned, this is one of the matches where the feed was a little stronger and was coming through clearer, but um, I've heard nothing but great things about this match. The only negative detracting thing I've heard were some of the shoot headbutts were extremely stiff. Yeah. Um, which were, can be concerning. But, um, I mean, it's no surprise at all, considering that it's Suzuki and considering that it's uh, Ishii. Uh, you know, post-match in the backstage comments, there was also a challenge issued by Brody King to Minoru Suzuki for the upcoming uh, was it the DC show as well? Yeah, I've heard the yeah, same, the Capital Collision. Yeah, Suzuki was doing his post-match interview. Brody King walked up on him, and, Ishi, and Suzuki was kind of like, who the hell are you? Why are you touching me? And they had, a, <laughs> they had a little pushing brawl, and yeah, Brody challenged him for DC. So, yeah, so right, so it seems like Ishii, Kingston, and then at this point, uh, Brody King versus Suzuki. So a very we're getting a lot of AEW versus New Japan on this Capital Collision. I mean, you might say it's AEW versus New Japan. I say it's whites versus Japanese. That's the way I'm seeing it. <laughs> I want to know which team you're on right now. You tell me. I'm on the team for good wrestling. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then um, the next matchup, the, the main event, big main event here, John Moxley, the Death Rider, he defeats Will Ospreay. Who was accompanied with the whole United Empire? He defeated Osprey 21 minutes and 24 seconds. Um, I thought this match was incredible. Um, you know, Moxley makes his entrance down the crowd. Osprey meets him there for as the entrance, and they start the match there. They're you know throwing blows from there, brawling, going to the ring, um, and just going from there. Um, Moxley gets busted open. Um, on the outside, they got back in, and then um, Osprey gets um, cut a little bit too. So these guys are bleeding. They're going back and forth. Were they uh, blade? Was it blade jobs or was it any, was it hard way? I think it was a uh, blade. Both of them. I think 
Osprey wasn't bleeding as much as Moxley, so I'm not sure. I think Osprey's might have been hard way, or maybe he just didn't blade as deep. But Moxley was like bleeding a lot. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, great. Uh, back and forth here. They're brawling all over the place. Um, great sequences here. Uh, Moxley blocking the Oz cutter. Tried to get it into a paradigm shift. Osprey hitting a, a quick hidden blade. That was a great sequence there. And these guys just hitting a lot of big, uh, high um, offense moves. Moxley going for you know the the elbow stoppage at one point. Um, there's a great near fall where Moxley hits uh, Seth Rollins curb stomp, where Osprey kicks out and flicks off uh, Osprey flicks off Moxley. And we saw on Twitter later, Osprey said, "Of course, I was, was going to kick out of your, I was going to kick out your friend's move." Uh, <laughs> uh, Moxley uh, tried for a lariat. Osprey got into a Spanish fly. A lot of great uh, back and forth counters here, uh, leading to the finish of the match, which is kind of the down point for some, but it was something I kind of talked about last week on the show. So Moxley does end up hitting the uh, paradigm shift. Um, that um, it's a paradigm shame on Osprey, but Osprey kicks out what seems like right before three, but Jerry, Jeremy Marcus called the three as Osprey kicked out, rang the bell, and then Moxley put Osprey in a rare naked choke, um, even though the bell already rung and Osprey tapped out, but um, you know the, the match was over. Um, and then Moxley hits Jeremy Marcus with a paradigm shift. And, um, of course, Osprey, once again, you know, he's petitioning that he continues to be screwed from uh, New Japan. Also, we saw this recently within the New Japan Cup match with Zack Sabre. So kind of continuing that storyline here. So what, what do you think about this kind of disputed finish here? Um, so why did he hit Jeremy Marcus with paradigm shift? Because I feel like he probably knew that Mo- that Osprey kicked out. Um, and so that's kind of taking the frustrations out on Jerry Marcus. Oh, for doing a bad job officiating. Right. Because Moxley, Moxley knew he kicked out because he immediately went to the rear naked choke, even though Jeremy had called for the bell. Uh, right. I noticed that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I haven't seen the match, but I've seen the finish. Um, I like what, uh, what, will is doing is you know basically talking about how uh, time and time again he's getting screwed and there's a conspiracy against him and then he even um you know kind of talked about the motivations that john moxley had so it in his version of things was not that john moxley took the referee out because he was frustrated at the finish but he took the referee out so that the referee couldn't address the situation because he wanted to save his victory. So like he was trying to paint John Moxley as this heel and then paint himself as the victim. Um, I did see the clip that he shared on his um, social media. And I mean, he kicked out. Uh, It's very close, but like they're showing that his shoulder was up before the you know before the hand hit the mat for the three count so it's 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 a bad finish um i i think obviously i'm pretty sure that this whole thing is an angle because we talked about last week i mean it's a major match two of the biggest stars from these two companies and neither one of them could really be in a in a spot to take the loss but 
if you were going to have Will Ospreay lose, it needed to be in some sort of protected fashion. And they've already done a, a similar finish like this with him recently with uh, the Zack Sabre match. So they can kind of further that ongoing storyline by doing this sort of thing. I'm sure it'll play out to something else. You know, you always hear that old adage, just wait, just let's see how it plays out. You know, but with New Japan, for the most part, you don't have to worry about that sort of thing because it actually normally does play out into something bigger and tells a greater story. And that's what I'm counting on here. And who knows? They, these guys might even uh, meet up again down the line. I, I, I'm not counting on it in the near future, but they have something to build upon the next time they do wrestle, whether it's a G1 or some sort of super show or something like that. But um, I'm interested to see where they're going with Will. Right. Down the road after this. Yeah, and I feel like they, you know, this this all kind of started when he got stripped of the, the world title. You know, he's, he's right. he started to claim then that there's been a conspiracy, New Japan's been screwing him, so that kind of kicked it off, and then you follow things up with, um, you know, the, the Sabre match, and now this matchup, so he's, you know, finally claimed up. He put a petition out there to have uh, New Japan uh, stop screwing Billy in all, you know, these, these big matchups. Um, so, yeah, it does leave the door open for the future. We do know that he has a U.S. title match coming up uh, next month on Wrestling Dantaku um, against the ace for the vacant uh, IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Championship, which is also very interesting because after the match, John Moxley gets on the mic and he calls out Tanahashi for Capital Collision uh, next month in D.C. So that match will happen after the Osprey-Tanahashi match. So potentially, Tanahashi could be walking into that match as a U.S. champ, and maybe we get Tanahashi versus Mox for the U.S. title, or maybe Osprey's a U.S. champ, and you know Mox beats Tanahashi, and Mox gets a U.S. shot against Osprey. Who knows? I can tell you right now what's going to happen um, at the Don Taku show. High fly flow from the top rope to the outside over the guardrail. He nails Osprey with it. You know, both guys are crawling in. Tanahashi gets in like a split second before him. They're at 19, and right as Osprey is about to cross, like cross the the barrier, the referee hits the 20, counts him out. He clearly was in the ring before the 20 count. Referee turned too soon, and then he loses the title that way. He's going to get screwed again because this man Osprey is a loser okay <laughs> oh man i mean yeah can't can't win the big one yeah they can keep the storyline going and he can get screwed in that match and then yeah that again leaves the door open and tanahashi can get the belt and give tanahashi versus mox for the u.s belt and speaking over jumping over the guardrails i also forgot you know osprey had a crazy spot in this match where he put mox on the table on the announce table and did a huge elbow drop from in the ring to the outside jumping over the guardrail and, and uh planting mox through the table for a big elbow drop so there's a ton of wild, crazy spots in this match. ton of great counters, bloody brawl. Like, I really love it. Even with all the technical issues, I really love this matchup. Um, four and three quarters on it. Um, wow. Yeah. I, well, obviously, I didn't see the match, but, um, you know, I saw some of the gifts. A lot of crazy things, just like you mentioned. But uh, someone on Twitter, uh, I wish I could say who it was, but I can't remember. But they basically were like, you know, anyone who had questions about the quality of this match or the, the way it would be worked. Uh, you know, you didn't have to worry about that because basically the story was two insane individuals 
insane, but equally insane, but insane in different ways. You know, you've got this, you know, sadomasochist and John Moxley who just loves violence and is willing to go out there and lay it on the line for violence's sake. And then you have Will Ospreay, who is like this aerial madman who will lay his body on the line for the sake of, you know, putting on the best show possible and getting over and, and just being the top guy and wowing everybody. And both of them are just upping the ante at trying to out crazy one another in their own way. So I'm like, yeah, that sounds fucking awesome. Like, you know, I, I myself wasn't sure how this match would really, not that I didn't think it would be good. I just wasn't sure in my mind's eye what that even looks like. What does Will Ospreay versus, you know, John Moxley look like? Well, apparently it's two crazy guys going out there and doing crazy shit. So, you know, that sounds awesome. And unfortunately with all this production issues, like I feel like this is a true match of the year contender here, but a lot of people haven't seen it. The people who did see it had issues seeing it. I mean, it is getting a lot of high ratings. It's like close to, I think it's a little bit under a nine on cage match and it's like four and a half on grapple. Um, so it's it's a lot of people are rating it in that four and a half to four and three quarter range, but uh, this this match should be getting more buzz, more attention. But well, I mean, the company's done a lot of great things here. I mean, a, a few questions I have. Number one, like if there were no production issues, is this a show of the year contender for New Japan? And you know what, it might still wind up being one at the end of the day, but I think the production value. Really brings it down a lot, and it makes it hard to actually take it seriously as a consideration for that award. You know, uh, the other thing too is like, did the company do enough to really promote this show in the first place? Because I didn't hear a lot about anybody that was really buzzing about this show before it ever happened. You know, got a lot of friends that are diehards that didn't even know that the show was occurring the the day that it was, and then they're like, oh, that's happening. Oh, Moxley's wrestling Osprey. So I mean, there you know that's another thing to take into consideration too. Yeah. So yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff here that that went wrong. But this match was just an awesome matchup. So you know, if you... I mean, the it, the the company's doing some great things right now. I mean, you see the last uh, hyper battle show and all the angles they set up and all the great matches and stories, and then the same thing that's happening here on this show forwarding you know storylines to the next big show the showcase in dc and everything like that there's a lot to be excited about and there's a lot of upside for new japan's future just with borders opening up and working relations being expanded on and it's a great time to be a new japan fan and and everything like that but this is sort of a pretty big hiccup just from the production value alone but right. uh if you took if that was completely out of the you know, out of everything and just taken away, this was like a blowaway show. Yeah, if this was no like this match up here, like four and a half, four and three quarters, Ishii and Suzuki, four and a half. Uh, you had all these fun multi man matchups. Uh, the Jay White, Umino, three and a half. Um, Philly Tom and Nagata, like three and a half to three and three quarters. Like, um, all these matches were you had nothing below three, three star. Like, this is all very good wrestling. Um, Ending feuds, progressing feuds, um, setting up angles for the DC show. Like, there was a lot, so much good about this show from the actual in-ring and what they did. But, yeah, production was a, a, a big killer here. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Uh, we did have a question here from Les Commission 7252. It says, is the Osprey versus Moxley match count as an excursion match? And if it is... With the match being a potential excursion match of the year, was it ruined as a potential winner due to the conspiracy theory angle against Osprey? No, it does not qualify. So just to be clear, what an excursion match of the year is, it, it's not any match that occurs outside of Japan. It is any match that falls under any other promotional banner, not New Japan. So New Japan of America is still considered New Japan. You know, uh, if they were running Lionsgate project shows, that would still be New Japan, anything like that. So, no, um, it, that match would not qualify. Uh, actually, it, it, here's a question for you, Jeremy. Wrestle Kingdom Day 3, excursion match of the year because it's dual show, or do you just count that more? I count it, I think, more as a New Japan show I ca- across I, the board. Yeah, I count it as New Japan. It's the Wrestle Kingdom branding, which is New Japan. I mean, New Japan promoted it very heavily as, you know, just three days of Wrestle Kingdom, a New Japan show. So, yeah, I would count that as a New Japan show. Now, let me ask you this. The All Japan, New Japan, Cork and Hall 60th anniversary show that we still have yet to find you know, a way to watch, but I think in, in, in the next couple of days it should be available. I'm thinking that's an excursion match to your candidate because that feels like more of an all Japan show to me. Right. It, it seems like more of a produce show. It's like the big, like 60th cork and hall celebration. Right. Cause new, there was not heavy promotion about this show. New Japan didn't no. even mention it once. Like this was completely different from the Noah deal. Uh, so yeah, I would consider that um, excursion territory. Just wanted to be sure. Okay. Yeah. But um, a good example of an excursion match, which I actually left off, which we can talk about real quick, would have been last week on Dynamite. Uh, oh, yeah. Samoa Joe challenging Minoru Suzuki for the TV title. Suzuki, a New Japan guy wrestling in another promotion, AEW against an AEW guy, Samoa Joe. So that will be an excursion match of the year um, candidate. So, Josh, real quick, what did you think about Joe and Suzuki? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, you know, I'm a big mark for any time guys go out there and just slap each other a million times. I mean, you know, uh, in more recent times, to give you a few examples from New Japan, I mean, uh, the Nagata and Suzuki uh, New Japan Cup match from a couple of years ago, the Ryu Lee versus Hiromu match from a few years ago during New Beginning, um, most recently that New Japan Cup match between Hiromu and Suzuki was another example. So. I'm a big I'm a big fan of I don't like to get chopped, but I'm a big fan of watching other people chop each other. So, 
that's what we got here, you know, plus, you know, with Joe being one of my favorite guys, Suzuki being one of my favorite guys, dream match element there, it happening in AEW, which neither of them really have a lot of history there, kind of just makes the whole thing feel like a, a fire pro, like fever dream match. Um, and then them kind of just hearkening. I don't know. There's a lot about this match that sort of reminded me of like Kobashi and Joe in a certain way, mm. but man, they just went out there and they beat the fuck out of each other. And like, I think I counted, like, I think, um, Joe took one bump and I think Suzuki took two bumps, including the, you know, the match ending muscle buster. And that's about it for the rest of the match was these guys just playing to the crowd and beating the shit out of each other. I went four and a quarter on it. And like, I also didn't expect Suzuki to lose clean. Um, I know he's been losing, uh, you know, in big spots here and there, but like for whatever reason, I just wasn't expecting him to, to eat a, a muscle buster like that. He, he jobbed one, two, three clean as a whistle. So, I mean, yeah, I, I thought this was awesome. Yeah. Suzuki has uh, yet to uh, win an AEW match and, with the whole Sanjay and Jay uh, promising a surprise, I thought maybe they were going to screw Joe out of the TV title. But, yeah, no screw. That's finish. what I thought. No screw finish. Clean as a sheet here. Joe, like you mentioned, hits the muscle buster on Suzuki. Love the matchup as well. Went four and a quarter as well. Hard hitting. Um, two guys, you know, working. They you know they don't want to take a lot of bumps. They, they have some limitations. Uh, Joe, you know, had a lot of uh, injuries over the last couple of years from Gotta be, and so these guys work smart, but still hard hitting. It's still a very good uh, matchup here. And uh, didn't we book Joe and Suzuki in the very no. the very first social suplex draft? No, we booked Tomohiro Ishii versus uh, Joe Samoa Joe. Which, okay. like, the whole time I was watching this, I was like, we're one degree of separation away from a Tomohiro Ishii Samoa Joe match. Yeah, and. The, the match we booked was those two in a uh, knockout or submission-only match. Oh, yeah. I could have swore we also, one year we did, we, we got Joe Suzuki, but maybe we didn't. But I definitely remember that we had, we booked We might have. I know we did uh, Nick Gage versus Suzuki in a exploding time bomb <laughs> death hell double mind death match. <laughs> yeah, in, uh, last year's draft, so. Yeah. But yeah, Joe and Suzuki, awesome stuff there. Joe is now the Ring of Honor title. So we're seeing a lot of AEW versus New Japan. We're, we're hearing the rumors of a AEW New Japan Super Show to happen in Chicago um, June 23rd. Um, and we had a question here from uh, Hayabusa5595 on Twitter. says, should we be worried about AEW working with NJPW? I worry about the New Japan guys having to lose. Titles being held by AEW guys and some of the more hardcore or silly parts of AEW bleeding over to NJPW. Basically, are you concerned that NJPW might not benefit from this relationship? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that those are fair. Um, um, those are all fair concerns. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, uh, Every single aspect of AEW work with New Japan would 100% be in the benefit of New Japan and it would all be peaches and cream and, and everything like that. Now, I can't sit here and tell you that there won't be some goofiness or that there wouldn't be, you know, um, 
hardcore elements, and I can't tell you that there wouldn't be politics involved. At the same time, there's a possibility that none of that happens. You know what I mean? Right. And that is possible. The thing that is that's a guaranteed though is number one, it's going to liven up both companies regardless because of the synergy of having um, outside guys from both companies being able to work with one another in so many various different ways. And I'm not saying they're all going to happen, but I mean, the ideas of sending people on excursion to AEW, having dream title matches over an AEW, having guys come from AEW here and work dome shows or work G1s or tag leagues, yada, 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 super shows, uh, talent exchanges. I mean, the list goes on and on. And considering that these two companies have the deepest rosters and greatest collections of talent in the world of wrestling today, uh, the matches that could potentially be created out of uh, some sort of you know working relation are nothing but phenomenal. So at the very least, I think the positives that especially considering how the last two, two and a half years of global pandemic have just wrecked New Japan specifically, more so than AEW, wrecked New Japan. The positives that are in front of us from a potential working relationship are so much heavier and, and, and uh, they so far outweigh the potential negatives. It's not even funny. So, yeah, I mean, are there some things that uh, a pro, you know, elitist might balk at and roll their eyes at? Sure. But at the end of the day, like, I'm all about it, honestly. Yeah, I like you. I'm agreeing with you. I, I do think the pros outweigh the cons. And I know a lot of people are looking at this when you see a show and seeing that all the AEW talent won um, against New Japan talent. Um, but you know, like you mentioned, there's going to be politics. I mean, AW is, you know, kind of the, the bigger company here in this relationship. And, um, I feel like obviously, uh, capital collision, we're, we're getting more AW versus new Japan than this rumored show in June. I mean, I do think at some point then some new Japan guys are going to have to get wins on AW guys. I mean, we saw, uh, Tanahashi beat Archer at resurgence. So it's not like new Japan guys haven't beaten AW guys. Um, and so I think we'll see a more give and take as the more of these guys wrestle, especially on the, on the, on that super show as well. But like you, I think the, the pros outweigh the cons. I think this is going to kind of bring a spark back to new Japan. You know, a lot of fans who abandoned new Japan, uh, when AEW started, I think it's going to help them get back into new Japan. Um, especially if you, as you, like you mentioned, when you get more of the AEW stars integrated into new Japan tournaments and big shows, um, I think it's going to be uh, a great win for New Japan in the long run. Now, I will tell you what my actual concern is. My concern isn't so much about, um, you know, I'm not worried that they're going to get, like, impacted the way impact was by AEW. You know, like, sure, there were some benefits there, but at the end of the day, I feel like almost everything weighed entirely in favor of AEW. Um, right. I don't feel like that's going to happen as much here. Now, if that does end up happening, that would be a detriment. If it was just like, uh, which I do have a little concern because if you notice on the Windy City Riot show, everybody that was AEW involved won. 
right that show, which is uh you know that's a little concerning but there in order for this whole thing to work there would need to be give and take on both sides you know it couldn't just be like AEW being made to look strong and then new japan doing jobs which i couldn't imagine that anyways uh however of course the wrestling landscape has changed a lot since AEW first came on the scene you know it's not you know the small upstart that it was initially so they they probably do have a lot of leverage when it comes to negotiations and things like that especially when it's us based product and and everything my concern my real concern is that new japan works with them and then exposes japanese audiences to them and then they become like a a major player in the japanese market Mm. like for instance they're on new japan world people are watching dynamite dynamite's a great show they're watching rampage it's a great show they're seeing all these guys that they used to know back in new japan like kenny omega like the young bucks and you know yada 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 they become fans of that and then they start getting and then who knows they run a fucking Tokyo Dome without New Japan and gain like a major market share. Right. They, they end up doing their, like, like WWE, WWE does their own tours of Japan. Like AW ends up doing their own tours of Japan without New right. Japan. Now, I mean, what are the chances that that would full blown occur? I don't know. I don't think that's super likely. And I don't know that that's even the business plan of, of a, like Tony Khan. But there is this part of me that's like, I don't know if you want your biggest competitor who's like basically replaced you in the West, the spot that you were supposed to have, they got it. And now you're putting them on your platform and exposing your audience to them. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily a net positive for you, New Japan, long term. Then again, who knows what kind of distribution deals might be down the line with uh you know there's a lot of rumors about what aw has cooking especially with this merger between um warner media and discovery and everything like that how that plays out with hbo max and i don't know if new japan will be included or not in what aw's potential streaming services would be down the line and that could be a really really good thing for new japan overall so we'll have to wait and see basically but yeah i do that's my concern is like what if they help create their own competition and embolt you know bolster them and embolden them and then lose out to them right yeah but like i said yeah we'll just kind of have to wait and see uh what happens with that well that kind of wraps up uh when you see riot uh new japan aw uh news as far as super show and them working together uh, now we're going to move into the uh, Golden Fight series. So we did have a show um, yesterday, Monday, April 18th. We'll run through the results here real quick. Not a ton of stuff happening on this show. Um, I mean, obviously they're building to uh, the big Golden Fight series this weekend and then also building to the bigger Wrestling Dontaku show in the beginning of May. Uh, so this show opened up. We had uh, Rihoi Oiwa defeating Kosei Vegeta, 8 minutes and 43 seconds. Um, pretty big deal here. Obviously, Oiwa and Vegeta have been rivals um, since um, coming on the scene and 
starting their matches in New Japan. We've seen a series of uh, 15-minute time limits between them with um, several time limit draws and 10-minute time limit draws. And so Oiwa here finally uh, picking up the his first victory and also the first victory of the series between these two guys. Yeah, I mean, um, and I maybe I'm mistaken here, but I read somewhere that uh, Fujita also had gotten his first singles win, and so they both have singles wins now, only Nakashima doesn't have one. Yeah, I think, yeah, Fujita picked up a win somewhere um, on one of these guys down the line. I think he might have picked up a win against Nakashima, uh, but yeah, Oiwa, this was his first win here And the first time uh, we got a, a winner Between Oiwa and Vegeta Well, you know, I definitely gotta check that out At that point, because I mean You know, I can't I can't miss the historical moment Where these guys get their first win, you know Yeah, so yeah Oiwa, he got the, the win here With the Boston Crab, tapped out Vegeta So then we had uh, Sugen team Desperado and Kanemaru Defeating Wato And Yuto Nakashima with uh, Kanemaru tapping out Yuta with a figure four leg lock. So uh, here we're, we're building up um, Kanemaru to challenge uh, Wato and Gucci with uh, Doki. So cutting in some action there of Kanemaru and Wato in there. So then we had, uh, after that, uh Sugun team of Doki and Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Taguchi and Togi Makabe with uh, Sabre tapping out Togi Makabe uh, with an arm bar. So once again, opposite sides, we have uh, Doki and Taguchi. So both matchups, we have the challengers defeating the junior tag champs. So things are, are in favor here of Doki and Kanemaru. I know what it is. Fujita did pick up his first win, but it was on the 60th anniversary show, the mm. produce show. He beat uh, Ryo Inui. Gotcha. So he won his first singles match on the 16th and then dropped uh, a loss to Oiwa two days later um, on the you know first night of the Golden Fight Series. So they both have singles wins now in their career two days apart. Only Yuto Nakashima is the only current Noge Dojo guy that's out there that hasn't gotten a win. Gotcha. Uh, so following that matchup, we had the Chaos team of Goto, Yano, and Yoshihashi teaming with Tiger Mask. They defeated the Bull Club team of Balak Fale. Chase Owens, Gato, and Taiji Ishimori after uh, Yano pulls a roll-up on Gato. Um, so on here, kind of continuing the, the Bullet Club uh, chaos feud that's uh, kind of been going. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to see if there's any... Well, I guess uh, Goto and Yoshihashi, they're going to be in that tag title match with Fale and Chase. So that's kind of the main program that they're pushing here. Um, and after that, we had uh, Tango-Tango Tangaloa teaming up with Tanahashi and Jado. They defeated... They have the torture, Dick Togo, Evil Show, and Yujiro Takahashi. With, uh, Tanahashi busting out a high fly flow on Dick Togo to get the win. So, Bayfaces are trying to get some wins now um, against the Bullet Club team. And still surprising that Tanahashi would uh, pull out a high fly flow on pretty much what is it, a row two level show here. It's because he's, he's a liar, bro. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like a, a boyfriend who's like, or any partner that like, swears that they're going to change their ways and they're going to change their behavior, but then they just keep going back to the same old toxic shit. That's Tanahashi and his relationship to the high fly flow. He told us years ago, he was going to protect his knees, preserve his health, get in better condition, stop wasting that move. Unless it was really, really important. 
This dude does it in every single fucking match. <laughs> it doesn't matter who it's against anymore. <laughs> He's a liar. Oh my gosh. He lies. He just flat out lied to everybody. He was like, Why are you like, always lying? Yeah, bro. Like <laughs> Oh, he's man. a he's a ghoul. Like he can't help himself. <laughs> oh yeah, so yeah, big win for the the Hantai team here. Semi main event, we had a uh, Bushi and Chingo defeating Taichi and Takamichi Noku. Also, we're, we're building to the, the KLW with a uh, Shingo and Taichi. So Shingo pins Takahiro with a pumping bomber. As of this recording, we still don't know what the stipulations are for the, the matchup coming up. Then the main event was Hiromu Takahashi and Tetsuya Naito defeating the team of Kazuchika Okada and Yo, 15 minutes and 40 seconds. With How did Hiromu beat Okada? <laughs> he, he hit him with that uh, Hiromu roll? No, uh, Hiromu actually ended up hitting Time Bomb 1 on Yo to get the win here. Oh my god, Yo got pinned by the Time Bomb 1, the yeah. OG Time Bomb. Yo's a hoe, bro. <laughs> yeah, and, and after the match, also this, this was Japanese commentary only. Hiromu got the mat, got the mic, and it looks like he was like almost kind of degrading Yo a little bit, or like talking down to him. I don't, I'm not quite sure because like the camera was kind of on Yo, like down on his knees, kind of crawling back, and then Hiromu was just like spouting something off on the mic. So it kind of seemed like Hiromu was kind of like talk, like bad talking Yo, or like trying to challenge him to do better or something like that. So. Bro, when I when I cut promos on people, I'm I'm just gonna bury them so fucking hard. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm gonna tell them they're ugly, that they don't read good, <laughs> stuff like that. You know. Yeah, in my in my mind, Hermit was telling yo, you're a hoe. I just beat you with a time bomb one. Like you weak, you soft. Bro, even Doki kicked out of time bomb one. You suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So uh, we have the the bigger Golden Fight Series show coming up uh, this uh, next Monday, April twenty fifth. So we got Tiger Mask, Yuta Nakashima versus uh, Great Bashiel, Makabe, and Hanma. Six or nine, Watanaguchi will team with Oiwa to take on Sugun Stoki, Kanemaru, and Zack Saber Jr. Then we'll have Sugun team of Despi and Taka taking on the Bullet Club team of Gato and Taiji Shimori. Then we'll have uh, Bishimon, Goto, and Yoshiashi taking on the Bullet Club team of Fale and Chase. Both of those teams are in the tag title three-way coming up on Dontaku. Then we'll have uh, the Chaos team of Okada, Yano, and Yo taking on the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, and Naito. Semi-main event, never open-weight six-man tag team title match. House of Torture, Evil, Show and Yudra will defend against the Girls of Destiny and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And then the main event will be the... Divisional KOPW title match with Taichi defending against Shingo Takagi. And like I said, as of this recording, we do not know what the two stipulations are yet that will be, be voted on during the week for this matchup. But there will be some stips like we talked about last week. Shingo, you know, I mentioned it's going to be a stip that Taichi's going to regret. So we're assuming it might be some kind of death match or hardcore match or something like that. Um, so yeah, what are you thinking on these uh, two title matches? Any any chances of title changes here? Um, I mean, I it, they could definitely switch the. Uh, I mean, either one's possible, realistically. Um, I'm feeling more bullish on the never open weights being potentially switched 
just because G.O.D. and Tanahashi, that might be like a cool, you know, six man to kind of carry those belts for a time. And it's not like Evil Show and Yujiro need them necessarily. So why not just put it on them, especially considering G.O.D. have history with those belts and they are so decorated as tag team champions, but they're not anywhere near touching that IWGP heavyweight titles right now. So this might give them something to kind of occupy them for a little bit. So, uh, but if house of torch retains, I wouldn't be surprised as far as KOPW. I think it really is just going to come down to that stipulation. Um, I mean, could Shingo win it? Of course. I mean, I think in most straight up singles matches, even in a tournament situation, Shingo's got to be the heavy favorite, but because it's KOPW, that makes things a lot less predictable. And concerning Taichi just won the title, whatever that stipulation is, that's going to be the real key indicator. Who knows? Maybe Taichi wins it and actually ends the fucking concept right then and there. Maybe this is their way to just write out the entire thing. You know, I don't know. But uh, I think I'm going to go with Taichi on this one just because he just got it. And I'm sure they're probably going to do some wacky stick. Right, I'm sure Tai Chi's will be more, a little bit more goofier compared to Shingo's, and it'll be some kind of way for Tai Chi to get a win on Shingo without making Shingo, you know, kind of lowering Shingo. Um, and then the never title match, uh, never six man, uh, I'm probably leaning a little bit more towards House of Torture. Um, and then you're thinking, oh, well, Tama can't beat Evil, and then Tama ends up getting a narrow title from evil at Dontaku. So, Possibly. Yeah. My thoughts. But, I mean, you're, you're, you're going in heavy on this, uh, this Tamatonga's winning the never title, you know, theory of yours. I, I am, man. That, that man is jacked, you know, hot baby face. I think it's time that, you know, to beat evil. Well, I guess we'll wait and see. Yep. So uh, New Japan Strong is uh, back this Saturday with a... So there, there was no Strong this week because of the pay-per-view? Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so Strong is back this week from the St. Petersburg taping. Strong style Evolve. So we got uh, Big Demo versus John Schuyler. Swerve Strickland versus Blake Christian. And then the main event will be Buddy Matthews of the House of Black taking on Yuya Uemura. Yeah, and we were there, so that works out. I've seen these matches. <laughs> yeah, the, the Strickland-Christian match is awesome. You're definitely going to want to make sure you see that one this weekend. That one's really, you know, and Buddy Matthews, you you and Moore was very good, too. Both of those were standout matches. Yeah. The demo, John Schuyler, not so much. <laughs> not so much, yeah. Uh, so then moving on to the news. So New Japan has announced some matches for the May 15th uh, collision taping in Philadelphia. We have the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson. Minoru Suzuki versus Tony Deppin. Killer Cross is back, taking on Yuya Uomura. We will have Team Filthy's J.R. Kratos and the West Coast Wrecking Crew of Isaacs and Nelson taking on the team of Alex Coughlin, Kevin Knight, and the DKC. And we just got some more matches announced for that tour. Uh, Brody King will be taking on Jake something. 
uh, former uh, guy from Impact. He's been in AAW. If you haven't seen Jake something, he is awesome. He's a big dude. So big Hoss fight here. Debut for Jake Sutton to take on Brody King. We're also going to have the Alpha Wolf Carl Fredericks taking on QT Marshall in a one-on-one matchup here. So we'll see this uh, feud continue. And then David Finley will be taking on Danny Limelight from Team Filthy. So more dates here for Finley and seems like he'll be shifting focuses on to uh, Team Filthy here. Yeah, um, this should be pretty good. Uh, a lot of, um, you know, kind of uh, what's like free agent um, indie guys that we haven't seen in new Japan, but if you've watched like GCW or AAW or PWG or some of the other leagues that are out there, you know, these names aren't necessarily unfamiliar, but it's going to be interesting to see them, you know, kind of, uh, it looks like there's a lot of tryout matches the way I'm kind of seeing it because a lot of these, they're pairing a lot of those guys up with uh, new Japan stalwarts. And usually that kind of screams like tryout, but, uh, I'm in. I'm also kind of curious. Like, you know, there's a few guys I, I didn't think did so great in their initial New Japan um, matches. Big Demo, uh, Killer Cross, and they're both bringing them back. So someone must have been pleased on some level with that their performances previously. Yeah. So seeing those guys getting another shot here. Yeah, Killer Cross against Yumura. Also, I'm sure going to get him get get a win there and. Give him another shot. Yeah, Tony Deppin, uh, former Ring of Honor television champ. So two former TV champs. Yeah, Deppin taking on Suzuki. And like you mentioned, Deppin, uh, big in the GCW world. And then towards that that, that ending run of Ring of Honor, uh, he was a part of uh, Violence Unlimited with uh, Brody King, Chris Dickinson uh, over there. So uh, I think he's a guy that could potentially uh, fit in pretty well. Um, and... Uh, Jake something we saw Jake something um, for the first time in Chicago all in weekend on those AAW AAW shows um, I thought he looked really good there I've, I've seen some of his stuff in impact he's, he's a big Hoss guy and so uh, really looking forward to seeing him like you no know, match up here with Brody King so uh, moving on we had we c- kind of mentioned already about Juice Robinson leaving New Japan but we did have some questions here Last commission, 7252, says with Juice Robinson's contract ending at the end of April, how would you summarize his career in New Japan? I've been a big fan of him from the G1 Climax 27 performance. It felt like New Japan could have done much better with his first U.S. title run and tag team run. What is y'all's opinion? Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I do think that they could have done better with his initial U.S. title run or just any of his title runs in general, because they really, uh, they set him up to have that great initial title victory against Jay White. And then after that was sort of very much downhill, he went into that G1 and he lost so many matches during that G1 that me and Jeremy were like joking. We're like, he's got like six or seven makeshift ready title challengers right out the gate as soon as the tournament's over because they all beat him fair and square and he's the champion and then the guy that he ended up defending against was also the same guy that beat him for the title and it wasn't even one of the guys in the tournament it was cody Rhodes. so (laughs) like they did not do well by him in that first 
title run. And then in the second title run, um, he had a lot of successful defenses, but it was against, you know, like Chase Owens and I don't know, I can't remember, like Hikaleo. You know, it was, it was guys that like were kind of no hopers and, you know, I don't know. It just, uh, everything really cooled down on Juice as soon as he won that belt. And I mean, you could look at it and say like, oh, he's better at chasing, but I don't know that that's the case because I don't feel like the company set him up to really be established as the champion when he had the belt. Someone was, uh, you know, kind of bearish on him once he had the gold. I don't know. Yeah, you know, typically we, we do praise New Japan for long-term booking and having plans and stories, but it does kind of seem like Juice won a title and then they were like, oh, now what? <laughs> now what do we do with this guy? Um, yeah, they, you mentioned yeah, he goes into G1, eats a bunch of losses. I'm like, all right, we're going to get like a redemption tour. Like he's going to go, you know, defense King of Pro Wrestling, defense Power Struggle, defense Wrestle Kingdom, and go on his hot streak. But we didn't get that at all. And it's almost kind of funny. Like, you know, he left NXT because, you know, a lot of guys like Balor and Owens and Zayn, all these like big indie names were coming in and kind of taking the spots of guys like him who were just, you know, training at the PC. And so he goes to New Japan makes a big name for himself, and almost the same thing happens again. You have Cody coming in and beating him, Moxley's coming in and beating him, and getting beat, beaten by all these bigger stars, and those guys kind of taking a spot. Yeah, I mean, that did sort of happen to a degree. Um, I, I think the company did have a, you know, I think Gato had a trajectory and a story laid out for him, and that story was, you know, from this point, starting out, at, after your young line, quote-unquote, graduation, we're going to take you to this title and that's what they did they took him on an odyssey we watched him grow we watched him progress we watched him you know overcome all these different landmarks and and milestones and then he finally won the big one and then that was his peak and i think that's the peak they saw for him and then they slowly started uh you know rolling him down that hill afterwards <laughs> yeah a uh, question from Tim Smith. Uh, what do you see in Juice Robinson's future regarding his wrestling career? It's really up to him. I mean, if if Juice decided that he just wanted to be a guy that just gets rolled out for, like, Northeast wrestling shows and, you know, um, stuff like that, he could easily just be a guy that does that sort of thing and be fine. Um, if he's also someone that wants to reassess in six months and, you know, maybe sign somewhere major. I mean, why, he could go to WWE. He could go to AEW. Who knows, you know? Yeah, uh, I think the thing he mentioned was also doing less dates. So I can see him initially, like, doing Impact, where it's kind of like a thing where there's not that many tapings. He just has to show up to, you know, they do, they do like a lot of tapings in one day. He can show up one day, be on, like, four weeks of TV and, like, be fine. Yeah, he also is a guy that has stated in the past that he doesn't like to do indie dates. Um, he's done more independent wrestling in the past uh, couple years than he had previously. But, you know, he talked about, like, not wanting to deal with promoters and, you know, the conditions. And, like, a lot of those indie rings are kind of janky. And, you know, he didn't trust them necessarily. And he just kind of likes a more, you know, professional um, setup, which is, you know, one of the benefits of working one of the bigger companies. So who knows? Yeah. Uh, the Dark Soldier asks, I know I've asked this before and you guys answer this, but considering his days seem numbered in New Japan, 
Why didn't the company ever trust Juice? He's a fantastic guy to have on the roster and get over in the U.S. and Japan, and yet always feels like they kept putting him down. Uh, I mean, kind of like we've been saying, clearly there was a story and trajectory, and the story was get Juice to the U.S. title. Along the way, you know, he had feuds with Goto. The, you know, the, the big win over Goto finally happened. He had kind of a little feud with Ishii, and then the Jay White feud, and finally beating Jay White. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the story and culmination there. And then uh, from there, yeah, they didn't they didn't have much more after that. And I don't think they didn't really trust him because also they they put Juice in some roles that they definitely needed. They needed Finn Juice in tag league and in tag matches and. Juice did end up, you know, facing Archer and then facing Moxley again at Wrestle Kingdom. So they did put him in some spots, but clearly they just weren't going with a push for him. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to look back and say, like, well, you know, this talent has X, Y, and Z factors. So, and the company didn't use them the way that I wanted them to be used. So, you know, they fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And especially if you're a big fan of that talent, it's easy to kind of say that sort of thing. But it's also, you know, it's it's got to be difficult as a booker to make everybody happy. And, I mean, let's, like, look at the guys that, okay, let's say if you did want to push him as a top main eventer, let's think about all the guys that are just, you know, over the past four or five years that had, that he would have had to, like, overcome. Tanahashi, Kenny Omega, Sonata, Okada, Abushi, Naito, Jeff Cobb, Osprey, Osprey, Shingo Takagi, Jay White, John Moxley. You know, we're at like 11 names just right there. Zack Sabre Jr. Um, and, and if I want to, Kenta, you know, mm. in the list. You know, evil got a got a, a run with the belt, and, and at the top, that's like we're at fourteen names right now. We've almost filled out an entire G one. You know, do you see what I'm saying? Right. New New Japan is the pinnacle, or you know, has been the pinnacle of professional wrestling at the top level. And I mean, you can be someone with great looks and a connection with the crowd. And charismatic and a fantastic oh Tomohiro Ishii 15 Suzuki 16. <laughs> you know, list goes on and on. You can be someone that has everything. You can have everything. You can be a fantastic talker, fantastic worker, you know, utility player, someone that gets it, you know, well liked in the office, everything. You can have all of those aspects and still not be the top guy because look at how deep this roster has been over this entire period of time. You know, it's not easy. Uh, There's a reason why, you know, guys like Goto and Suzuki have never held the title, you know, and probably never will. Right. And then let's say he did resign, you know, borders are opening up. They're getting ready to work with AW. Like, are you taking juice over Brian Danielson? Are you taking Juice over bringing John Moxley back? Are you taking uh, Juice over, you know, insert big AEW star that could potentially come over? Like, are you going to take Juice over any of those guys? Like, probably not. A lot of what happens in the wrestling business is based on timing. 
you know, and maybe the timing hasn't always been perfect for juice for whatever reason at, at the same time. I mean, it's hard to deny that he's had a fantastic run and a fantastic career in new Japan. Um, you know, being a, a fan of classic pro wrestling, I just understand that not everybody can be the top of the card and not everybody can was meant to stay in a company for a decade plus. You know, there are some guys that are like that, that are homegrown and dojo guys, but especially when it's a foreign gaijin talent, you know, back in the old days, it wasn't uncommon for those guys to get cycled out and to come in for, you know, a year or two and then to go elsewhere and then to come back later on down the road. And I mean, you know, I'm not making, I'm, I'm not, this is definitely not me saying that New Japan didn't drop the ball sometimes with this guy. I think they definitely could have done more. But at the same time, I mean, Juice did a lot, man. I mean, like he, you know, had that whole entire feud where he was chasing Goto for years and then he finally beat him. You know, he had the big win over freaking uh, Jay White, you know, in the Cow Palace and they broke records there. Uh, you know, he had had that fantastic tag team with uh, – Fit Finley, uh, or no, it, <laughs> David Finley with David Finley, um, he beat Kenny Omega in the G One. You know he won the feud with Cody, and he's a multi-time U.S. champion, multi-time IWGP Heavyweight champion. I mean, went super deep in several New Japan Cups. I mean, there's a lot that he did do in this company, and has been a very marketable name. And not to mention, you know, was probably making six figure contract for several years you know um probably was paid very well and coming out of the company um down the road i'm sure that the way he's left the company on good terms and the work the body of work that he has you know created for himself over this period of time is only going to bolster any kind of negotiations he might have with other companies down the road I wouldn't be surprised if we see him show up in AEW. I also wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he does take an extended period of time off. But, like, I'm not sitting here necessarily crying over, you know, potential millionaire Juice Robinson who (laughs) got to travel the world and beat some of the best wrestlers out there and entertain millions and, you know, found the love of his life and is married to Tony Storm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this guy's got a pretty good life. Like, (laughs) yeah. And, uh, you know, he's got, he's not old either. Like he's still got plenty of juice, no pun intended, left in the tank where if he wants to go on another run and do more work and have more great matches and entertain, like he's up for it. So, yeah. Uh, so moving on to the next news item here, Kushida is expected to return to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, it was reported yesterday that 38-year-old has left WWE after his contract expired. Uh, Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio on Monday said he is done. His contract expired. It was not a secret that he wasn't going to stay. I know in WWE the belief is that he starts with New Japan in June. That's what they believe, and it's probably the case. We've seen other reports come out uh, today from Fightful and Voices of Wrestling kind of saying the same things of Kushida. Expected to be back in New Japan in June. There's also some stories that kind of like him potentially wanting to be repackaged, a more serious MMA character, and how he's kind of been in contact with New Japan throughout the whole time. 
um, in his uh, NXT run. And we had a question here from Wine Punch VB. Thoughts on Kushida potentially returning to New Japan Pro Wrestling? Will he be back in time for Best of Super Junior? Do you think he wasted the last three years of his career, especially since the COVID era probably would have put him in more matches with heavyweights? Yeah, um, I think that it's interesting. Um, he probably does end up back in New Japan, um, and if that's the case, that's incredible and that's excellent because you know, just last week we were talking about how much we miss Kushida and how big of fans we've always been of his. Um, at the same time, I don't know necessarily that I'm clamoring for Kushida to come back to the junior division. You know, and because that was the whole reason he left in the first place. And granted, it is a different landscape, and there probably is actually a spot for him in the junior division now. Um, since, you know, a lot of the top guys that were there have kind of moved on or moved up or gone away. And I think the current crop of juniors that we have, while they're excellent, are not as good as Kushida was or is. Um, so that'd be fine if he came back, but that was the whole reason he didn't want to be in the company to begin with. And so there's a lot of people are like, Oh, please come and work with Desperado. And I'm like, can he come back and like be a heavyweight? And I mean, they, they're pretending like she was a heavyweight. Why can't we just pretend like she was one too? Right. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, so, I mean, you know, and there's always the chance he doesn't go to new Japan. I mean, I'm not saying that that's the most likely scenario, but who knows? Why couldn't he go to, like, Cyber Agent or AEW? Those are very real possibilities. Yeah, I mean, he's here in the States right now. I mean, his contract's up. Who knows? Tony Khan can give him a call right now and get him on Dynamite um, this week. Uh, this week. Um, especially when there's a, there's a big announcement, and who knows? You know, he can pull Kushida in to be on the AEW side for the, the big crossover show. Uh, yeah, there's some options here, but I mean, it, what it sounds like, you know, he's been keeping in contact with the office. He's been keeping in contact with guys in the locker room from New Japan. So tampering, tampering. <laughs> maybe he, he's ready to go back to Japan and move his family back and kind of get back to New Japan. And he did mention potentially, you know, working late as well to work more of a shoot style on the side also. Um, so I would be happy to see Kushida back in New Japan. Um, it does seem like he'll be probably coming back when Super Juniors is ending. Um, but like you, I, I don't think he needs to come back in the junior division. Again, I mean, yes, I mean, having his star power in that division right now would be good, and he could have some good matchups there. But I feel it's kind of doing the same thing like he was doing. And like you mentioned, he... Felt like he was stale and kind of hit a wall in New Japan being in that, in that division. And so I think, yeah, let's get him in the heavyweight division. And I know they do usually treat guys when they come back from WWE or WWE guys kind of in a higher light. And I know the Japan audience will see Kushida probably as a big star, bigger star, because he was in um, WWE. So I think that would help him out as well. But, yeah, I, I think give him, a, give him a shot as a heavyweight. Well, the, the only way that probably either of those two scenarios work, whether they let him do a mixture of the two or start junior or go to heavyweight. Um, he would need to be repackaged at this point. And that's what he's kind of lobbying for, according to some of the reports that we've heard and read, you know, talking about wanting to lean into a shoot style slash MMA 
style gimmick or even like you mentioned working glade working uwfi style matches or completely dropping the time splitter slash back to the future inspired gimmick package and doing something darker something uh you know more heel centric which um you know uh normally i'd be like we've got too many heels in the company as is but uh if Kushida comes back as the same guy he was before, then he's right back where he was before he left. And it won't be long before there's no stories for him and no feuds. And, you know, uh, we're kind of wondering if he's just spinning his wheels and everything like that. So I do think that they need to change a lot, change the whole package when he comes back and just make him fresh, you know? Yeah. And as far as like the last three years being um, a waste, yeah, I, I do think it, I mean, it was end up being a waste because, I mean, even the original black and gold NXT regime wasn't super high on pushing him. He didn't really get a ton even during the NXT heydays when he was there. And then also switching over to 2.0 wasn't great for him either, the whole jacket time stuff. So he really didn't have a ton of blow away or great matches during the, the NXT run. Um, yeah, I can't even think. Right. What's that? Right. Well, I, I was saying right, yeah. but like, what's the alternative? Yeah, I guess he would have, yeah, just stayed in New Japan and just kept having matches in junior division, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because we were getting to the point with him where like he'd been like, and I, I don't know, I don't want to presume what a lot of our audience does or does not know about Kushida because I'm sure we picked up a lot of listeners since the time he left the company. I mean, keep in mind his last um, like major shows were right around the same time that the elite were leaving uh, new Japan as well. So what, when was that like early 2019? Yeah. He had that last match with Tanahashi sometime in the, I think in the first quarter of 2019. Right. So, you know, like he felt stale for a long time as the head of the junior division and he'd gone on you know journey after journey after journey after journey sort of like what Hiromu feels like right now to where it was like well what's left for him to do in this division especially since he's already fought and beat everybody that's here won the belt numerous times won all these tournaments and they're not going to let him go heavyweight so if he had stayed what would he be doing and i know you you mentioned in the COVID era, he might have had a chance to wrestle more heavyweights, but I think you're kind of only mentioning that in the same respect of like, you know, Desperado wrestled, you know, Despy and like uh, Hiromu, they wrestled in like New Japan Cups and had like open weight challenges. That's fine, but I don't think that that's what Kushida was trying to do. I think he was taking a gamble on himself because he'd already been wrestling the top tier guys in other companies in Europe and in North America and pretty much around the world. The only place he wasn't doing it was in new Japan. And I'm of the opinion and always have been that he's talented enough to be a top guy. I'm not saying he should be the champion, but there's no reason he couldn't be wrestling. Ishii and Zack Sabre jr. And Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi and B and G ones. Like why not? He's that fucking good. And they were never going to let him do that. And if they did, they were just going to, he would be lower than Ujuro. So that's my, that's my concern. It's like, if he did stay, what would the alternative be? He would have probably moved 
further down the card, you know? Yeah. Unless they decide maybe during COVID, maybe they would have thought of a repackage or I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, when we don't know one way or the other. I think that he being, I think him taking a gamble on himself and trying to make it in the biggest company in the world, much like Nakamura did, you know, that's pretty brave. And I felt like if he was ever going to do it, that was the right time. Unfortunately, you know, uh, it's WWE. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, last piece of news here. Uh, the free match of the week on New Japan is Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi from last year's uh, Wrestling Dontaku. So check that one out if you haven't seen that already. Yeah. One of the best matches of the year. Do do you want to talk about the JCAS reports at all? Um, I mean, well, we kind of mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the New Japan versus AEW stuff of uh, June 23rd in, in Chicago. Uh, but yeah, Super JCAS, they you know kind of hinted with their pastrami sandwich uh, gimmick last week that you know the this potential New Japan Super Show in Chicago June 23rd. Yeah, and I mean, I will say this. Um, I was given the information that there could potentially be a Chicago crossover show late. I wasn't given the same date, but I was given later in the year and it was given to us by a source that is highly trusted and usually correct. So, um, you know, and that was before the Jcast episode had even dropped, but granted, I'm not saying like we got the information firsthand. I think most of the people we talked to are, the same people that talked to Jcast and probably got their information from them firsthand. But um, you know, the one thing I will say, they've never like come out now, nothing has come out official just yet, but tomorrow, which is Wednesday when the show is dropping, there is a major announcement on AEW from Tony Khan. Now, could that be related to this? Possibly. Could that be related to they hinted heavily on their show that it might be revealed this week that this super show is happening. Um, there's also other things that it could be with AW could be a distribution deal um, with, you know, HBO max and with discovery and everything like that. It could also be something re- related to ROH's um, television show since they're no longer with Sinclair uh, official this past week. But I will say this, those JCast guys have never ever stuck their neck out on the line with, uh, information like this and been wrong. Right. Yeah. They're usually pretty right when they're going out the bat for something like this. Yeah. And they really like were pretty heavy on it. So I'm guessing we're going to probably be you and I in Chicago in June, I suppose. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, it's right around when's your wedding again? August 7th. Yeah. It's going to be close for you, huh? Maybe that could be the bachelor party trip. <laughs> well i'll be there <laughs> uh so let's move on now to some uh questions and uh recommended an excursion match of the week so uh first question here from fit beautiful 2638 what would you think if the extra day for the g1 is for a semifinals so nine block matches on each side plus a semifinals day where the top two point getters in each block advance and face each other across blocks so A1 versus B2 and B1 versus A2, then a day for the finals. This gets you an extra day of G1 
keeps more guys alive on the last block day and avoids any rematches except if only one of the second seeds pulls the upset. Great job on the podcast. Always a good listen. Um, yeah, so do you understand what he's saying there, Jeremy? Yeah, it's similar to some of these those old Super Juniors we reviewed during the, the final countdown. Right. Where you would have, yeah, the... The second place person in the B block would face the first place person in the A block, and then the right. first place person in the B block would face the second place person in the A block. Yeah, exactly. The other thing, I forgot that we'd done those together. They've also done this in the G1 in the past years ago as well. So this isn't like a, a new concept. And, you know, he might be right. If if that's the case, uh, we now we talked to Chris Samsa, and he did the math, and he he was saying that it sounds like that based on the math, there could likely be an extra person in each block. Yeah. He was saying, yeah, 11 per block in three nights where you would have both blocks competing. Right. And that to me sounds more exciting. The, the problem with the, um, the a block and B block final playoff scenario with a one versus B two and, B1 versus A2 is we have wound up in the past with a lot of finals that were rematches of matches that had already occurred in the tournament and kind of like sullied the G1 finals or best of the super junior finals just slightly in that way. So I'm, I'm not a big fan of this kind of layout personally. I prefer that, Guys in their blocks just stick to their blocks and then uh, kind of move on. But um, yeah, that's an interesting idea, and I think we'll keep in, keep that in mind because I think that's very plausible as well as what Chris has said. Yeah, like you, yeah, I, I think yeah, doing this way kind of muddy things up a little bit, but it, it could be a potential option to fill up that extra day. So, uh, ready user Yasmin has a few questions here. Uh, first. What do y'all think of Chris Dickinson, especially now that he's signed? He's one of my favorite strong guys. I'm hoping he'll be in the G1. I reckon he'd be perfect for chaos and would probably do well in Tsukun. Yeah, we're die. Well, <laughs> I am a unabashed diehard Chris Dickinson fan. I think he is my favorite uh, New Japan strong talent. And I can't wait to see him get to Japan and wrestle everybody on the roster. And I can't wait to see him wrestle Tanahashi here shortly. And, you know, uh, there's a lot about the way Chris Dickinson is as a wrestler that I would like to be just as a human, like he's sort of like my spirit animal. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I don't know if he'd be a good fit in chaos or, you know, I think a lot of people want to see him in Suzuki Goon. I, I, I don't know where I see him fitting in from that perspective, but yeah, man, I want to see him in the G1 for sure. Yeah, big fan of Chris Dickinson. And if you guys didn't know, we interviewed him. Uh, a while back, that episode's up in the archive. You can listen to that interview. It was right before his uh, Strong title match with Filthy Tom. Uh, but yeah, big fan of Dickinson and his work on Strong, seen him in Bloodsport, GCW. Uh, guy is awesome. And yeah, I, I would love to see him in the G1 also. Also asked, what guys from Strong do you want to see hit the New Japan shows now that the visas have opened up? I'm hoping West Coast Trucking Crew will be in the tag league this year. I mean, my top two... New Japan strong talents are like we mentioned, Chris Dickinson and then filthy Tom Lawler. I mean, um, 
there's a lot of talent on that show and on those tours and has been, but like those are like my two standout guys that I want to see make it over to Japan. Yeah, definitely Dickinson and Lawler. I mean, I would love to see the LA Dojo guys uh, mixing it back up there. I feel like they were doing a lot of good stuff before they uh, before the pandemic happened. So yeah, Fredericks, Connors, and Coglin, especially Coglin, he's been on a, a roll now. Um, I would love to see uh, Jr. Kratos in Japan. Uh, yeah, I, I think he would kind of fit in that monster role that Lance Archer had, and I think the Japanese crowd would really take to him. And I think he could have some slugfests in like a, a never style division. Yeah, I totally agree. So yeah, I mean, there's so many great guys on Strong. Um, also, ask who are you hoping to see in Best of Super Juniors? Um, I I feel like the the name that I would be most excited about <laughs> um, that we haven't totally heard anything about just yet is Dragon Lee. Yeah, very interesting situation because I know at one point he had signed a separate New Japan contract while he was also in ROH. Um, and also they were, they were going to do some more stuff with him, and then the pandemic happened, and we know in the past we've seen several tweets about him saying how he misses Japan and when he wants to get back to Japan and posting pictures of Romu and stuff like that. Um, so hopefully, yeah, I mean, Dragon Slash Ryu Lee, whatever you want to call him, I think that would be um, a great addition to bring back this year. Would love to see uh, Bandito get another shot, Jonathan Gresham, uh, Chris Bay, TJP. Um, I totally forgot Bandito like had been in a Super Junior. <laughs> yeah, that, that 2019 Super Junior. How about Flip? <laughs> He's out there controlling his narrative, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, that man has reverted back to the 2018 gimmick, trying to get over from back again, so... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we'll be seeing Flip anytime soon. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that I mean, Blake Christian. Uh, could there, be honestly, there's a ton of you know, uh, talent out there, guys that fit the uh junior heavyweight mold. It's just a, a, a matter of like how many spots do they realistically have out there available and open. I mean, there's some other guys we haven't even seen in a while that could fit you know leo rush mm. ach there's mm. a lot yeah and also we don't know if what, what other luchadors like from the cmll connection caristico um volador jr uh teton i mean any of those guys could potentially come come in as well really is coming back too yeah and yasmin's last question here thoughts on francisco akira joining new japan i know we kind of talked about that last week did you have any other thoughts on Akira? Coming in? No, I don't, I don't have follow-up thoughts on that. It's a great question. We did cover it last week, and we're very you know positive on Francesco Akira coming in. Uh, I think a, a lot of people you know, were kind of just concerned about the reception on his initial debut and also you know his size, considering he's a, a smaller um, junior. But I, I, he's a really talented guy, so I think he'll do well. Yeah. Uh, Less Commission seven two five two asks, "How long do you guys think we'll get? How long do you guys think we'll get to the eventual Jay White versus Tamatonga match? We most likely, we'll have both men in the G one, and it might even be at Wrestle Kingdom next year, which I don't mind that match being at that event. It doesn't scream like a Wrestle Kingdom match to me, especially for Jay White. Yeah, uh, for me either. I I don't think that that will be a 
Wrestle Kingdom match. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you, honestly. Uh, it all depends on Jay's visa status. And right now we haven't heard anything on that. And that could be a very long process. So that's the biggest thing. Uh, could it happen in the States? I think possibly, but I think they might want to hold off on doing that one until they get back to Japan. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the, the angle kind of kicked off here in the States, so I could see them doing it here in the States. Um, but again, like you mentioned, it's kind of hard to predict until we figure out when Jay can actually get back into the country. I mean, but I could see this happening on a Dominion level show, a King of Power Wrestling, a Power Struggle. Uh, also, they could be in this if. Jay and the G1, they both could be in the same G1 block. But, yeah, I don't think it's quite big enough to do on a Wrestle Kingdom. Say, well, I guess well, there, there's like two, three nights. Who knows? Maybe they, they could on one of those nights do, do that match. But I probably wouldn't do it on that night. Uh, next question. He said, would it be a bad move for Cobb and Ocon to lose the tag belts before Wrestle Kingdom next year? With them being great singles competitors and the performances they had last year, to me, it would be a bad move not having them going to the World Tag League this year. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom next year with the belts. Uh, I don't know how I feel on that. I think you might want them to drop those belts this year. Uh, keep in mind, the guys that go into the tag league with the belts, A, they don't win the tag league. B, they usually drop the belts at Wrestle Kingdom. So you're talking about them both taking another major loss at Wrestle Kingdom again another year in a row. If I was the booker, I wouldn't do that, especially considering the reports that they're considering Ocon as a blue chipper and they've got their sights set on him to push him as a tip-top act in New Japan. And we've already seen how they've kind of progressed uh, Cobb over the past year or so. So should they have a dominant run? Sure. But again, it's the heavyweight. It's the tag titles, guys. Like, how many how many people have lengthy runs with those? I mean, Dangerous Suckers, you know, were involved with them a lot, but they rarely had prolonged title defenses. They'd lose them. They'd like defend them once or twice and then lose them. So, uh, and people consider them like tag team of the year, tag team of the era, <laughs> yada yada. It's like they barely defended those things successfully. <laughs> Yeah, and also, too, you got to think, United Empire also now has Aussie Open, and I'm sure at some point Aussie Open is going to be coming over, and you're going to want those guys to be the highlight team of the United Empire, and they did kind of tease going after the titles in the post-match promo when you see Riot. Um, so I think eventually, yeah, Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis, they're going to be your Empire Tag Champs, then you can have Cobb and Ocon uh, be singles, have those guys going after singles titles. And so I think Cobb and Ocon are, are more suited to be in a singles division and being in G1, the New Japan Cups, and having big Wrestle Kingdom matchups and kind of being some of the singles guys in the United Empire. Hot take. I think uh, United Empire is already overbloated. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think they need any more people at this point. No, I think they've got too many guys that are too good for their own good right now. Yeah. they're, they're... It, it, It's hard to have... Um, you know, a faction with three main event players, not to say that Cobb and Ocon are currently main event players, but they're so close to being main event players. And Osprey already obviously is one plus two juniors, plus a tag team. Plus 
you know, your perennial pin eater in uh, Hanare. Hanare. I mean, they're overstacked already. And a lot of that comes down to the fact of how hard they pushed the initial three guys. And now they're at the tip top. And it's like some one of those guys is probably going to need to leave, leave the group here in the near future. Yeah. As, you know, not and we don't usually see a lot of people jumping groups, but I mean, they're either going to need to leave the group or someone's going to need to get kicked out or one of them's going to need to get de-pushed because you can't have three alphas chilling in the United Empire like that. Like, it's just not feasible. Yeah. I mean, they did tease in the post-match promo that they were, they didn't want like all of them going after some title, somebody going after the heavyweight, the U.S., the never, the strong, the junior title, the junior tag titles. Um, yeah, and I think that will work for now. But, you know, then again, there's no IC belt. Right. So I guess one of them can go after the KOPW, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. I think one of them should try to get that uh, CMLL heavyweight title, you know? Yeah. You know, things prestigious. Get that. Get get, uh, get the Ring of Honor title. Yeah. <laughs> one of them should start to, one of them needs to chase the uh, TNT ace belt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Face all good old Sammy G. Uh, next question from Hawaiian Punch. Hawaiian Punch BV says, "Do you know when the All Japan slash New Japan Joint Show will be available for international fans, and will you review it when it will you review it when it is?" Uh, we don't know when it will be available. I mean, we're tr- we've been trying to get our hands on it. We I think we might have it sometime this week. I mean, so we might have access to it, and that means if we get access to it everyone else can hypothetically get access to it. But I think he's asking when is like it going to be available for like regular, ordinary legal consumption? (laughs) 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 Like when is it going to go up on a non sketchy Chinese slash Russian, you know, back channel, like Google drive type situation when is it gonna you know when am i not gonna need to go on to some like sketchy torrents to obtain it when will it just be available on a regular (laughs) website yeah regular people go on to no idea i would you know new japan world has been putting up a lot of uh cross promotion stuff so hopefully it'll end up on new japan world sometime soon but yeah we have there's been no news on that and it it's comes- my understanding that I was told we've got people on the case. We've got multiple people working to get this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it is my belief and understanding it will be available to us in the next couple of days. And I assume when it becomes available, we'll watch it because I'm more interested in watching, you know, Tai Chi and Jake Lee take on the aces than I am in watching House of Torture take on Hantai in a never open you know, never six man. So I don't know. Yeah. And I'm sure we will talk about it at some point here on the show. Once we watch it. Uh, also asks who you got between Tyson Fury and Dillian white this weekend. What do you think of white? No showing all his media obligations. Dylan. Dylan. Um, I got Tyson Fury. Um, and I, I don't really have any thoughts about Dylan white not attending honestly like i knew this fight was coming up i didn't even know it was happening this weekend like that's they're not doing a really great job promoting it but then again it is an all 
Euro UK championship title match. So that might be one of the reasons why it's not being as heavily promoted over here stateside. But um, I'm definitely going to watch it. Uh, you know, Tyson Fury is like one of my favorite heavyweight boxers of this era. So, yeah, can't wait. Who knows? I mean, Dylan White is a – he hits hard. <laughs> but uh, I think Tyson – I mean, I just can't imagine anyone being Tyson Fury right now. So last question here from Dark Soldier. What is it with New Japan and Lumberjack death matches? They've had four of them, and what exactly is a death match about them? They seem like normal Lumberjack matches, but the best, some weapons use. Where's the death match element? Is it just to sound cool? Um, so I think some of that has to do with, like, um, translation sort of type of deal, and, like, sort of a misunderstanding. Like, in Japan there was a time where any match of any sort that wasn't your standard fair singles match was called a death match. Um, it wasn't like, you know, because in the States, traditionally speaking, a death match meant not, probably not what most people think. A death match was typically a Texas death match, which meant no time limit, no falls, or I'm sorry, uh, unlimited falls. And also, usually you could never originally have a match for a title over a death match. A death match was usually like a lights out style match. And um, the way it would work is very much like a um, Texas or like a last man standing. But the way it would work is someone would get pinned or submit and then they would give them 60 seconds, so they'd do a minute count. And then after the minute count, they would start the 10 count. And if they couldn't race to their feet after 10 seconds, they were counted out. That was a Texas death match. That's what all quote-unquote death matches were originally. It had nothing to do necessarily with the violence inflicted, although that became part of it. It was more so the rule set, except for New York. In New York, a, death, a Texas death match in New York was just straight pinfall, just one pinfall, but it just was no rules, no DQ. Basically, like what WWE calls a uh, extreme rules or a hardcore match, that's what a death, Texas death match was to them. But to everyone else, it was what we talked about. But in Japan, any match that had any stipulation was a death match. So, like, you would see steel cage death matches. You would see nail bed floor death matches you would see lumberjack death matches and i think it's kind of just a tradition that's carried on obviously that's kind of changed a little bit over time because you had iwa and fmw and freedoms and all those companies that got into the death match you know genre and actually expound upon it and progress it move it forward but um you know there were death matches before onita they just weren't what we call quote unquote death matches. It was just like a bull rope death match, a Texas chain death match or a Russian chain death match. Um, pretty much any stipulation was called a death match in Japan. And some of that tradition is still carried on over into new Japan. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. So yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, in new Japan, 
they've had other stuff that they've caught, like they've had chain death matches yeah. uh, in recent years. And it's like, what makes it a death match? It's just what they call it. It's just what they say, you know? Nice. Well, now let's uh, conclude the show here with a uh, recommended match of the week. So last week for the recommended match, you recommended Kushida versus Will Ospreay from Invasion Attack 2016. And for the excursion match, I recommended Mike Bailey versus Minoru Suzuki from GCW Devil in a New Dress. So we're going to start with um, Kushida and Ospreay. Uh, this match was a lot of fun. I don't think I'd ever seen this match up here. This was Ospreay's first match in New Japan. First, uh, so first time challenging for the junior title. So Kushida's a champion here. Really fun back and forth matchup here. Kushida focusing a lot of the offense, also on Osprey's arm to set up the hoverboard lock. But through that, um, Osprey was able to do a lot of innovative offense. He would do like his springboard stuff without his arms, and yep, um, just did a, a ton of. You know, Osprey was definitely you know way more flippy and smaller here. So he's doing the, the corkscrew flips. He's doing the the crazy, you know. Fosbury flop planchas. He's doing all these kind of crazy um, press moves and shooting star presses and all kind of flips. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a really good back and forth match. I thought it was a great way to introduce Osprey to New Japan. You know, normally I'm not a big fan of, you know, doing a, a new guy's first match of the title match and them losing. But ultimately, I, th- I think it all worked out. And the crowd, they were gasping and ooing and awing and, you know, just an, an amazement of some of the stuff that Osprey was doing, and Kashida matched with the high flying, did his um you know big senton off the tops of the outside where he just like crushed Osprey's neck on, on that landing there. Uh, but yeah, good back and forth. Um, in the end, Kashida was able to get the the hoverboard lock on that arm that he worked on right in the middle of the ring. Osprey tapped out. Really fun match here. I'm like four and a half on it. Awesome stuff. Yeah. Um. And this match was interesting, too, because like you mentioned, it was uh, Osprey's first, you know, debut in New Japan. But it was right around the same time that he was really making mega, you know, waves in North America as well as in uh, Europe. And, you know, I think this was just around the same time as like WrestleMania weekend. And he he worked two uh, very famous matches that WrestleMania weekend, one with Ricochet and one with Zack Sabre Jr. Both of those matches, high recommendations if you haven't seen them. But, you know, everyone, the, the big thing was like, this guy never sells. Like he has no psychology and he can't sell. So then he was like, oh, really? And he went out there and sold his ass off by, you know, completely maintaining the arm injury the entire match and then working all his offense you know, innovatively to not need to include the arm. So like you mentioned, like all the springboards and flips with, you know, without utilizing that arm, which was really cool. Um, And I think also got him a lot more respect at the time for maybe having more aspects to his game. And what, when was it? 2015? 2016. 2016. So, I mean, you know, he still had a long way to go, but yeah, I mean, Will Ospreay was excellent back then. This match, that's the thing that really kind of still stands out. I haven't seen the match in a long time, but it still, you know, resonates in my mind is just uh, how kind of innovative he was there. Yeah. So what did you think about uh, Speedball and Suzuki? 
Um, so this was one that I had high hopes for just because um, I saw a lot of like good review, like really good reviews, people that were like really high on it, calling it like tremendous and terrific and, you know, really deviating uh, a lot from the Minoru Suzuki, you know, in the U.S. sort of template uh, style matches. And I think that there's some truth to that. And I think that given how like excellent Mike Bailey is and also um, the style he works, it might have caused uh, Suzuki to maybe put in a little bit more effort here. I don't know if you saw this match or not, Jeremy, but I I did. You did. I I still wasn't really blown away with it, to be honest. I thought it was good. I would call this a slight recommendation. I wouldn't go full on like, hey, if you haven't seen this, you got to go out of your way to see it because, again, it was a lot of the same wash, rinse, and repeat spots that we've seen with Suzuki, maybe just altered slightly uh, for Mike Bailey. But, you know, there's also a lot of the, like, the brawling on the outside, the faces, the slower pacing and offense. There was definitely cool stuff here. I mean, the match was interesting, and I mean um, – first time meeting between these two guys and the crowd was very into it. But ultimately I didn't think that this was one that is going to be considered for any sort of serious recommendation, you know, for match, you know, for excursion match the year, I'd probably go, I could maybe go three and three quarters. I'm somewhere between three and a half, three and three quarters, but I did think it was good. Uh, I thought the, the closing stretch was tremendous, but, most of the match was kind of what you'd expect out of, out of you know, a Suzuki GCW match. Yeah, I was like three and a half. Thought it was a, you know, very fun back and forth matchup. I felt Suzuki had more fun wrestling speedball than he did Killer Cross. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I agree. And, and gave him a little bit more. And there was some uh, good back and forth and speedball. So he brought it with the kicks and he was doing a lot of his innovative flip spots and the double knee stuff that he does. And yeah, I thought it was good back and forth. But, you know, it was not too long of a match, and all Suzuki ends up winning with the gotch, and yeah, I mentioned the crowd was really into the matchup, and I thought it was a fun match for Speedball to have, but yeah, I wouldn't, I don't think it's going to make the list at the end of the year. Okay, no worries. Well, um, let's go ahead and do our recommendations for next week, so it's my turn to recommend the excursion match of the week, and you know, Jeremy, I'm going to leave it up to you. We could do one of two things, okay? If this Cork and Hall 60th anniversary show comes up, we could kill, let me see, one, two, six birds with one stone. That is, of course, assuming that the entire show becomes available. So if it becomes available, I would say, at the very least, the main event probably needs to be watched, if not the whole show. But if it doesn't become available, my original um, recommendation was going to be TJP versus Buddy Matthews from MLW Fusion 137. Now, keep in mind, I understand it's MLW. The match sounds great on paper, but they tend to disappoint. But I've heard good things. So I haven't seen it myself. I'll probably check it out, but um, you know, TJP versus Buddy Matthew sounds like one that probably needs to be watched at least. 
yeah, let's go with that for now, just in case we don't get the Corgan Hall show this week. Uh, so yeah, so MLW. But if the other, but if the shows come out, all I'm saying is we can watch that and then just count that. Yeah, but let's we'll, we'll go it out. Let's for the official records. We'll go with TJP and uh, Buddy Matthews. The official records. That means we need to have a document that I can uh, update. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm updating every every week now on the site. Uh, oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Are you uh, following my same specific template in the way that I like to fill it out? Yeah. Just so adding. it doesn't say it doesn't say VS. It says V. I think so. Yeah. Very persnickety. <laughs> <these things. laughs> uh, so my pick for recommended match of the week, since we're on the road to wrestling Dontaku, gonna go back to wrestling Dontaku 2015 for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title. The champion, the cleaner, Kenny Omega, defending against Alex Shelley. Okay. Um, I don't know that I've, that's an IWGB junior title match. Yep. I don't know that I've seen that one yet. So, yeah. I, I've seen almost all of the Kenny Omega junior title defenses, but I don't know if I've seen this one. Nice. Oh, should be a fun one to check out then. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode of Keeping It Strong Style. Uh, next week, we'll be back to review the uh, rest of the Golden Fight Series show and get ready for a final preview of Wrestling Don Taku. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Also follow the network at Social Suplex on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also find us on the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guy, just keeping a strong style. Check out our Discord server. The link for that is in the description of the show. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio is by Rich Lada and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences Podcast hosted by Caleb Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guy Podcast hosted by Sir Sam. The Great Match Generator hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy fun. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.